Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dedder Dennis Maller, speak with artists and entertainers about their day job. And I'm really happy to have on the podcast today somebody who we've been talking about doing a podcast episode together for quite a few months, uh, my co-worker and good friend, David Tanklevsky. David is somebody I work with at radio currently right now. He's a traffic reporter at work. Uh, he started out in the news, uh, and now he's actually doing television traffic reporting for uh, local uh, cable news, NECN, NECN, New England Cable News. So we talk about that, the transition of going from radio to television, the difference, even though he kind of started in TV, but he started on air in radio, um, and now he's doing TV and the differences of that. We talk about his band, the Whiskey Treaty Roadshow, and his solo music, because uh, he is a traffic reporter and he's a musician. He's also a writer, like he writes a bunch of our articles. He's a sports guy, does sports reporting, so he's pretty much the pinnacle of everything that we're doing uh, that we want to talk about on this podcast is working so much for your art while still having interesting jobs. And he's out there. I mean, he's he's doing all that stuff. Uh, he's a great guy. I enjoy having him on. Uh, I, before we get into the podcast, though, I was thinking about this earlier today. Oh, by the way, happy 4th of July. If you're listening to this the moment it came out, I'm putting it out the evening of the of the 4th. If not, related this week, enjoy that. Um Oh, well, this week, if, uh, let's talk about, since we're, uh, we'll talk about, we'll talk about where I'm at later, but uh, what I was thinking about today was jobs, right? This whole thing is about jobs, artists and jobs, entertainers and jobs. Somebody said to me very recently that it's really nice that the comedy cookouts I'm doing that Jesse and I are doing, that we provide food for everybody. Like we, burgers, dogs, he, Jesse will make some chicken or steak tips or something like that. Like we have food. We don't ask anybody to bring anything. It's not a potluck thing. We just put out some burgers, dogs, it's super cheap. And then, like I said, he does skewers of chicken or some steak tips or whatever. Some vegetables, salad. I made uh, black be- handmade gluten-free black bean burgers last time because three people who have been at my cookouts have had celiac disease. So... We, we, we put out a good spread of food and we don't ask anything from anybody. We buy, you know, we have a couple, you know, got to throw a 30 pack out there. People bring things, other people bring food and we all share and it's, it's still a great time, but we provide a thing. So a guy said to me, it's like, it's great that you do this thing unselfishly that you do this show and you provide food for comics who comedians don't have that much money. So you're providing them with food. And I was thinking, yeah, but none of us don't have money because we're not, we're comedians. None of us are poor because we're comedians. Like none of us are working comedians who are who are grinding out there for a little bit of pay. You know what I mean? Most of us don't get paid to do comedy at all. We're making no money doing comedy, but we are still most of us poor. Some of us have good jobs that pay money, but what is it about that that comedian? You know, we equate artists with being poor. All right, well, there was a time when you were a full time artist, you didn't have a day job. Well, we we all have jobs, so why are we poor? Well, it's the jobs that we pick. The jobs that we can handle. And the reason we're poor is basically, or that we don't have a lot of money, is because, for most of us, not because of success, not because we're starting out comedy, it's because we picked a job that doesn't pay well. Why did we pick that job? Is it because we mentally can't handle being a functional member of an actual workforce? Did we pick a job that pays poorly but gives us good hours to be able to do comedy or music or whatever it is why are we in that trope of of what did we do to create the trope of being considered poor or do we just run with that idea hey i'm a comedian so i'm poor even though it's not necessarily true like you hear older comedians talk about you know i lived out of my car or you know i lived off three dollars a week grocery bills because i only made twenty dollars a week in comedy you know or whatever Well, none of us are getting paid to do comedy, but we all have day jobs. We're paying rent. We're paying our bills. 
So why is it that we're poor? Why do we have these jobs that don't pay us well? I was thinking about that earlier today. Like, I make a, a I make a manageable living doing radio. Not a great living. Could be better, because I'm not doing anything that pays better. I've accepted a job that pays what it pays. So why am I poor? I'm not working retail. I'm not working at a coffee shop. Hey, you know, a lot of comedians work at coffee shops. You work for tips. You work at Starbucks. Starbucks pays their employees pretty well. So why are we all still kind of broke? Why are we playing that that trope of, of because we're a comedian, we're automatically poor? So I was thinking about that earlier. I don't think most of us really are as, you know, or, or, what I think the reason why us comedians are, are poor is because we've set that upon ourselves. Um, oh, it's 4th of July. Uh, David worked today and then came over. We did this podcast. It was a good one because we got to sit down and talk a lot about different facets of entertainment that he's involved in. So I hope you enjoy my sit down conversation with traffic reporter, writer, and musician, David Tanklevsky. Like uh, I'm embracing my inner eighth grader. I've got the cargo shorts, <laughs> these Obama socks. Oh, is that what those are? Yeah. Obama socks? Yeah. I can't tell your socks through your shoe. Yes, sorry. I believe That's, that they're that Obama socks. I, you don't have to take your foot out of it. No headphones? This is pretty professional. I mean, if you want headphones, we have headphones. Do you? I don't wear them, no. I, I can I look know. at, the, uh, at the levels. I don't know if I want to wear them unless you're going to wear them. I mean, we can. Oh. We can. It's going to get It's going to get a little warm in here because I don't have yeah. air conditioning in here. But This is great, though. This is like... Seriously, the studio here. Yeah, no, thank I'm you. That's what I was aiming for. Yeah, I'm take them off. It was a nice idea, I guess. No, yeah, they they work. It's, yeah. it does the job. They do work. Um, there's the other difference is like I'm dealing, you know, I'm dealing with you who's a professional. Yes. Whereas most of the time I bring people in here who are not professional, so I usually just forego the headphones because it makes them feel more comfortable. No, it makes them feel less comfortable. Having headphones on, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so I forgot the yes. headphones, so they're more comfortable. Yes, you're but correct. But although I am a professional, admittedly, I know nothing about Audacity, and I know a little bit more about Pro Tools and a little bit more about the whatever cheap version of it we use at our at our studio. Oh, Gold Wave. Gold Wave is garbage. Yes. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, but you're you're more familiar with Pro Tools because you're a musician. You use that yes. more than anything else. Although that too, admittedly, I've been in like probably a dozen studio settings and every time i go i'm like i should really like this time i should really focus on what the producer is doing so i have some semblance of knowledge about pro tools (laughs) and i still don't every time i'm just like i didn't i wasn't paying attention no of course not but no that's the thing being a musician either you play the music and don't worry about the technical aspects or you have to worry about the technical aspects and the music totally like uh my buddy back in uh, Baltimore who produces Can Show, who was just on the last episode mm-hmm. of the podcast, he know he has a home studio. He built a home studio, so he knows all that stuff as yeah. well. He and he's also a musician, yeah, because he felt like he needed to know all that stuff to learn that stuff. Whereas, you know, what? that's not gonna. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Is the third? That's the third one. Oh, yeah, nice. no, I added more mic, cl- uh, more more mic stands. I have more microphones. They're just not Could in do a place full yet. Show here with like I uh, can. Yeah, yeah, that's. With mostly spare parts, yeah, which is the thing that I that I mean, these microphones are now new, these arms are new, these but are really nice. Yeah, no, they're all right. They get the job done. Um, you know, you look around online, you find things cheap, like yeah. the computers, monitors, uh, basically everything here. This, this uh, giant TV, this, everything. The, the P stopper. Yes. Yeah. The windscreens. Like that that the was. Windscreen. Yeah, that was a. Uh, 
Nice. That I bought. Uh, these these two I bought. These other two, my roommates gave gave me as a Christmas gift. Yeah. So it's kind of it originally started as just spare parts, and now it's actually legitimate. It's pretty awesome. Parts. Yeah. It's cool. So, no, thank you. That's why I do it here. Like I had to do uh, last weekend. When you when you didn't come over, I was still supposed to go do an interview with no, people. He gets, gets the dig in there. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, you know, we've been we've been saying let's get you in here for seven months. A number of months. But is this mine too? By the way, mm-hmm. wow. Oh wow. Usually I have bottled water, uh, but I did Quite not go right. buy bottles. Quite all right. So yeah, so you've been churning these out essentially. No, that's the thing. I'm not even on regular schedule. Still. Oh, I see. I'm trying to get on a regular schedule. Yes. I was trying to do that with June. I was like, June, all radio people. And I missed the first first week of June. <laughs> so like three weeks of radio people. So I had two weeks straight up, a week off. You're going to go up today. I'm going then, up today? Yep. Wow. As soon as you leave here, I'm going to intro this, uh, edit the ends, and put it right online. Cool. Um, and if you want, you can take a copy with you, and you, we, can, we can swap cast this. Yeah, you can, yeah you that's can, what I want. You can release it on your podcast that you haven't done anything yeah, with in, in, about in a year. eight months. Yeah, <laughs> We kept saying, uh, D'Lo was like, we should really do one with you, because the first one was with D'Lo, who's the guest host, and we didn't get around to it. I have like four or five in the hopper ready to go, but the cool thing was that Chris was doing those designs for them, yeah. and he's super busy now. So without the designs, I'm kind of like, okay, like we, we can put these up, Without the design, design yeah, kind of the signature thing about it. So, well, it is an audio podcast. The design's yes. a nice extra element. Like, yeah, the yeah. visual element's nice, but it's all about the audio. Yeah, so we could get those up and then maybe throw this one on there too, nah. as long as we have your blessing. No, of course, no. That's what uh, swapcasts are fun. That's what it's about. You know, we both released the same episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing in two different places. No and matter the idea where would go. be that you get twice the audience. Although. Yes. But, oh. Well, if we're going to do it on the marketing thing, I was just going to say, let's just do it for funsies. Well, but yes. <laughs> It also presupposes that there is an audience. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I actively avoid looking at the numbers because yeah. I don't want it in my head. I don't want yeah. it to affect what I'm doing, how I'm doing, or more importantly, my mood. Yeah. I don't want it to affect me personally. Yeah. Um, also, I don't want to add another list of failures to my ever-growing list of failures <laughs> if by chance no one's listening to an right already now. long list. Exactly. Well, I took. I was looking at it when we were doing our the Be Brave podcast regularly, and I was surprised. Yeah, you start thinking about like not only you know what what was good or bad about that episode, but also like. You know, some people you just want to have on and they're your friends and maybe they don't have a big following or anything like that, but yeah. you still want to talk to them. So, you know, it's like you don't want to necessarily customize or uh, tailor what you're doing to who's who's listening. Yeah. You want it to be like interesting to you. Basically. Yeah, well, make it for yourself and then others yeah. will find it. Yeah, that's the idea anyways. <laughs> that's the theory behind that. That That's yeah, that's supposedly what works. But That's what I've been told. Yeah. So anyway, you just work. You get, you had to work today. Yeah, on Fourth of July. Yeah, ten to two though, so that wasn't. Oh, that's that not bad that at all. Bad. No. Were you just doing Necken? No, no, Necken was off today for traffic. Okay. So, um, so just at our studio, just doing uh, news for RKO and you know Bloomberg, Cape okay. traffic reports. Oh yeah, the, your busy, summertime ride reports. Busy this time of the year, yeah. So oh, not man. not a full day, not heavy lifting today. Okay, so yeah, we were just uh, all audio, no camera work stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because that's that's the thing that. You're going to be the first TV person on the podcast here, which you're now defunct a TV traffic reporter. I guess it's true. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if that's what you wanted or not, or you're expecting it. I don't even know. Did you want to go on the TV when, when they brought it up? <laughs> did or I was want like, to do this? I'm already doing it. And I guess I did want to. Yeah. I mean, when they said that uh, their the traffic reporter was leaving, they said this will kind of be a long term sub position. It would be good experience to get on TV if that's what you want. And, uh, and, 
but there's been you know there's a lot of dragging of the feet on both ends no matter what so i was kind of like i want if i'm going to do it if i'm going to kind of uproot my schedule and go back to early mornings for a while like i want to know that i'm going to get a chance to be on tv like otherwise i don't know that i necessarily want to do it so pretty quickly i was able to get on there which was good and um i've definitely enjoyed it no it's not it's not like the end goal to be a tv traffic reporter i don't think i like doing news sports you know, all those things more, I would say. Although, I mean, a lot of the skills, I think, have been invaluable because there's been times where there's been, like, breaking news stories that are related to traffic. We had, like, the fire on the red line. Yeah. And, uh... That bolt bus explosion. But, I mean, you weren't part of that, but that... I was on the air doing the traffic report from our studio when the bolt bus exploded, which was... But over the phone. Yeah, yeah. And when I went over there to meet everybody in person at NECN, they were all like, oh, you were on during the bolt bus explosion. So that was cool. That was the <laughs> so they remembered. Okay. Yeah, they remembered that. Because I, I was there for it, and yes. I don't remember who had to report it's on it. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> it was like the most exciting thing that happened in months. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, I don't think. Actually, a friend of mine was on that bus. Oh, really? Yeah, he was. Uh, I looked up at the TV, and he was. They were and Nekin was interviewing him in studio a couple oh days later. later. He w- gave them their cell phone footage that they wow. showed of it. I was just at his house yesterday for a cookout. So what do you say that um, they just told everyone run off the bus? I, you know what? Weird part is I didn't Don't listen to an interview <laughs> and I didn't ask him about it. I was just like, dude, were you on that bolt bus, bu- a bolt bus explosion? He's like, yeah, that was me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I was like, oh, I saw you on the TV. Didn't pay attention. The, I, the only reason I know it was on is because it said it underneath in the lower third. And you saw Because I looked there, up yeah. and saw him. And th- by the time I turned the TV on, the vi- in the or turned the volume on the TV in front of me at work, yeah, it was the interview was over. And I remember was just when standing that there, happened. Staring weirdly. <laughs> I learned a valuable lesson, which was don't say things during live uh, breaking news that you don't know about. Like they kind of kept me on for like five or ten minutes because I was doing the traffic report, and they're like, "Now, David, how far is this from the Weston State Police Barracks?" and what was really happening in my mind is like, I have no idea, but I was just like, you know, it's, uh, I just hedged my bets and sounded like a complete fool. I, I said, like a lot. I said, I think it's, uh, you know, like, it's like, uh, it's not a long ways, but it's not, no. it's not right there. <laughs> and everyone's just like, away. this guy has no idea. Just, you know, it's not that far away from the yes. Western Railroad. Okay. Give us a mileage. I cannot do I that. I will not be doing that. <laughs> Let me Google it and I will return to you. So that was. We'll, we'll answer that question in the next break, Maria <laughs> yeah, or whatever. <laughs> and we'll come back with the information about how far that is. Well, <laughs> but so the breaking news stuff has been cool. Like that red line fire, they have kind of been like, you know, there have been a few different things where they're like, okay, so, you know, we'll have you do a quick lead in about what's happening and then toss it out to a reporter in the field. The other day they had Isaiah Thomas of the Celtics. Uh, in the parking lot doing a charity thing. So they're like, the anchors have to run out there, so we're going to have you uh, toss to break and kind of tease that Isaiah's coming up. So oh, that's are, cool. Yeah, those are little things, but they're, you know, I think once you get comfortable with them all, it's just something you can do and you feel more comfortable the next time. So it's been good. I'm training my replacement currently. A current re- replacement currently at with us or with them? No, no, uh, with them. So I think I'm going to end up, uh, they've said maybe you'll do some afternoon traffic on camera, which would be cool. So I think it was never necessarily that I was going to be the morning it was just, okay. traffic guy. It was kind of a fill-in thing, see how it goes. And they've been up front with me, like NECN, I think that first week they were like, uh, you know, we, we think you're doing a good job. We're really thankful that you're stepping in. We trust you as a reporter. Um, they were like, we've, we had already kind of interviewed some people about being the full-time morning uh 
traffic person. So that's kind of, I think, in the process now. And I think it's out there that she's been hired, so I don't think that's secret. Is but, she coming uh, from out of... Yeah, she's coming from out of market. I think she's okay. from Florida. Okay. Um, but she seems like... She's young, but she seems like very accomplished. So that's been fine. Like, I've been kind of training her and teaching her. I mean, she knows how to report. It's just mostly like, as you know, like when you get Looking here, at the cctraffic.net yeah. site and... And the roads. Getting our product. Oh, yeah. Learning, learning the roads. The roads yeah. and the names. So she's coming up to speed with that really quickly. Are you teaching her Peabody or Peabody? I'm teaching her all wrong in the hopes okay. that. <laughs> well, no, because I, I to oh, me, sorry. it's no, that, Peabody. Yeah, I would I would teach her Peabody. Yeah, uh, I guess. Well, I, if I, want I should re- be less adamant about saying it the, the, the not local way. Yes. Especially where I'm from in Baltimore, where we, like, we have our own weird pronunciations. Yeah. Um, like E-L-L-I-C-O-T-T. How would you pronounce that? Ellicott. In Baltimore, we say elicate. Elicate. Right. Let's uh, see. But I admit that we say it wrong. Weird, yeah. Nobody in Massachusetts will admit that they see, say no. Peabody wrong. No, in Massachusetts, everybody else says it wrong. That's kind of, that's our style here. But it is tricky. I mean, like, I think if I had started on TV before doing radio and really knowing the roads for a couple years, I would be really pretty overwhelmed, so... Yeah, well, the funny thing, for, well, funny thing, the annoying thing for me at work is when I listen to those jerk offs that we work with uh, complain about who I like, as you know, you you can like them all you want, you <laughs> like everyone, that's your problem. <laughs> Could be, I guess it's a problem, but no. Uh, th- when I listen to those guys, uh, like one of the the female traffic reporters from TV will will message over going, "Hey, where's the copter?" or "Hey, what are we looking at?" and then they'll just rag on her for all day long about not knowing what it is she's looking at, and meanwhile. Malcolm will come out as soon and go, where's the copter? Or when you guys will come out, where's the copter? Or what are we looking at? And they're like, oh, and here's the answer. And they no fun of you. The right. only people they pick on is women. But it's, everything, every time a woman asks a question, she's wrong. Every time a woman does something, she's wrong. If, if one of them goes to a copter shot, they make it a big deal about, uh, oh, finally she does, she goes to the copter that we pay all this money for. And if you go to the copter shot, it's fine. They don't it's make totally it. Fine. It's like, oh, you do the right thing by going to the copter shot. Uh, they are finally doing the right thing by going to the copter It is shot. hard to tell where the helicopter is a lot of times. Yeah. So I don't fault anyone for that. You kind of – and sometimes what I've noticed – But they're morons because uh, in their for minds – For not knowing. For in not their knowing. minds, they say that, that the, the – and it's only the women. Uh, it's not a coincidence that it's, uh, that it's only women. I, uh, I assume you've talked at length about this to them. Oh, b- yeah, because I enjoy having fistfights at work. Because I've already stepped up and said things yeah. and it became an issue. I did think you were going to get in one once. Only once? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've heard about other times where I was surprised it didn't come to that. But there was there has been one time that I've been there where I was like, I think Dennis is about to fight a guy <laughs> who can remain nameless. But um, No, we can say his name if we want. I don't care. You can say his name. No, nobody's going nobody's gonna, to – none of them are going to listen to this podcast. Most of them can't even figure out how to turn on their own computers at work, let alone download a podcast. Well, they come from a different generation, I think. Where yeah, podcasts, so what? Where podcasts are – that's kind of a foreign thing to nah, them. It's recorded radio that you get on the internet. It's not well, that it different. You know, I've noticed for TV especially, just to pivot away. From <laughs> uh, I think That's it, again working with professionals, knowing how to knowing it, how to get out of the the bad situation. Get out of the woods. <laughs> it is different for women in that I mean, especially when it comes to. I think there are a lot of superfluous things in oh, television. Oh, please, that's that, two men on a podcast. Two white men <laughs> on a podcast. About talk about how hard it is. Well, it's for like women. when I started, I I bought like three suits mm-hmm. and a bunch of ties, and like for women, it's just I think there's kind of. Uh, 
there is a definite double standard. Oh yeah, where it's like especially look looks wise. Yeah, totally. again, it's another situation. If by chance all three of them happen to be on our our local channels, happen to be wearing the same colored dress, right? They make an issue about right. it. It's like, right. oh, they all must be wearing red because of something. It's like, or they all just coincidentally wore red, right? Or it's red nose day, so they all decided to wear red. Who cares? Like, and why thing, is it the issue? I feel like sometimes in um, in one thing that's different about radio or that I sort of romanticize with radio is that, you know, coming from that background, it's like the most important thing to me is that you can clearly, whether it's news or traffic or whatever, that you can clearly communicate the information and yeah. what you look like. And, and I mean, how you sound matters, but what you look like and what you wear does not matter. You know, that's kind of just extra. Not in radio. No, yes. TV, right. unfortunately, does because it's a visual media. I think that's yeah, I was surprised and it's not anybody's fault really but it's just how it's been done for so many years like when i went in there this is just a couple months ago but like learned about the tv industry like a lot of people have given me feedback about like you know what i look like and how i'm presenting the information as opposed to nobody's said anything about like you know the content itself which is a good thing i guess because it means they trust you to give yeah. the right content that you're saying that you're reporting properly right that you're doing yeah. that well but to me that's kind of like as a romantic about it that's kind of like where it should start and end and of course it doesn't and it, no. that's any tv station you're at across the country is going to have things to say about the way you present yourself and the way you look and that's their prerogative and that's fine but it is a difference i'm an old school radio guy i guess danny yeah well you're you're you, coming from the world of sound you're coming from the world of non-visuals because you're a writer, you're a radio guy, and you're a musician. Everything you do is about sound. Yeah. Even though music is a live performance um, and writing is a visual medium, it's still all about the words and not who's behind the t- the keyboard. Well, and it's funny. Like, I always feel like when I was younger and we were, like, really pushing the band a lot, we'd have these conversations about, like, marketing the band and, like, press photos and all that. Yeah. And you kind of decide how much of that game you want to play and... I often was, you know, me and some other guys in the band at different times would just be like, Ugh, you know, like all you want to do is play music, but that's not really enough to distinguish yourself no, necessarily. No. Yeah. You, so you, you kind of just become aware of that and you make some compromises where you feel like it's appropriate. Yeah. No, in the business you have to, at our level of business, you know, me as a comedian, I have to think about marketing myself and promoting myself to other people, how I'm perceived by other people. Comedy is a little bit different than music because no one laughs at somebody they don't like. Right. Whereas I cannot, I can hate you or you could look weird, but as long as I like the music, that's all that matters yeah, yeah. for the most part. Uh, now, granted, looks do play in with music as well. A good looking singer somehow automatically sounds like a much better singer. Yeah. No matter what it is. Well, and whatever you see visually, I think, has to do with, you know, the overall aesthetic of a band so that that, you know, we're all going to wear the same uniforms today. You know, yeah. that sort of a thing, I think, kind of matters more than I wanted to believe it does. But I do the same thing. I make judge snap judgments about bands based on yeah. the way they're promoting themselves or the way they're kind of presenting the, the music. It's all art. Yeah. So is there any help? Let's go back to talking about Nekin. Um, because you are uh, you came from the world of sports originally with news, right? Yeah. Well, I'd been a um, play-by-play guy down south for a couple years, which was chaos. That was wild. Uh, baseball was my first love, so I wanted to be a you know baseball play-by-play broadcaster. So I did that for a few years and then came back to Boston. And, play-by-play on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Online and on the Online, radio. Online, yeah. yeah. And um, so then... Uh, 
I kind of came into radio from, uh, I was working at 7 News, WHDH, in Boston, and I was writing for the morning news, like working overnights, 1 to 9 in the morning, which was so rough. I did that for like eight months, and then I met Jesse, who works in our office, who used to come downstairs. I think he was really there to flirt with one of the other news writers that mm-hmm. that wrote for us. But um, that that sounds like something Jesse would do. Yeah, I happened to be uh, just a lucky side note to that because he was. We started talking and struck up a friendship, and he took me upstairs and showed me all the radio stuff. And I told him that I had a little bit of experience and wanted to get into like more on air i really didn't it's just to me it was such a different thing to actually be on air as opposed to like i was writing the news for the anchors and a lot of times they would be presenting the stories i was writing and i mean you know it's just i felt like i knew the story just as well as anyone because i'd kind of been following it and writing it and then it would get on the air and you know sometimes someone would read it with the wrong kind of inflection or i just felt like they flub a line or whatever i'm like i think i could do this you know i mean what's the difference between writing it and writing it and reading it you know so yeah so that was my background i came into it from uh from so i had the on-air experience from sports and the writing experience from some of the news newscasting work and then uh yeah it's been almost four years which is crazy yeah well that's all, so, so you basically started right around when i moved here because i've yeah. moved here at three and a half years ago is that how long you've been there yeah and then we I've merged. Here, yeah. merged. We merged about two years ago. Two, two and a half now. Maybe two crazy. and a half. I know it Time was. Is I came in to that new building. Uh, well, we were merged before that, but we moved in the same building. I think right around Halloween, mm-hmm. like in the fall, Emo and I came over first. Yeah, and, and I think Jen. We came it was like just the three of us there in, in the building, building for at least a month, and then they brought. Uh, yeah, I think we were there Dan in November. The rest of the people. November. So. Yeah, I think it was right after Halloween. We got there just before Halloween. So you were working with those two guys across the street. I was working with Emil and Jen and Jeannie and Dan all across the street. So Emil, Jeannie, uh, Emil and Jeannie in the mornings. Yeah. Um, Emil, who was producing for Boston. Jeannie, who was reporting for Boston, Rhode Island, New Hampshire. And then they, uh, by before we moved over, she was already doing Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Middays, like 10 to 2 or something yeah. like that. 9 to 1 or some, something like that. Uh, so we were there together in the mornings. I'd leave, come back in the afternoon. It would just be Jen and I. In that in a room, so about funny. a little bit bigger than the studio, in little in cubicles. Yeah. Um, and then eventually Dan came in because they needed. That was the weird thing about when they brought Dan in because he was, um, well, let's get into his history, but he was, pre, he was basically board upping the, um, Ryan Seacrest show on Kiss. Right. And they needed somebody to our boss Katie didn't realize that she was supposed to have traffic reports for Providence, Rhode Island yeah. in the middays. So she had Dan doing it for like an hour and then brought him into the fold for oh, so he'd never really been on air before that. No, I think uh-huh. he, he's basically just been a board op slash glor- uh, a glorified board op slash producer. And I say that not to be derogatory. Say he that calls with himself. Love. Well, he's he. I say that to be technically accurate. Yes. He's been calling himself a producer. Where it's like I, you're board opping and segueing. Uh, automated hours not really a producer but if that's the title you want to have that's fine i was a glorified news runner not even a news runner i was a not even a producer for a morning show and i call myself the co-executive assistant producer because sounds a lot better it sounds a lot better but all i was doing was cutting up his highlights and putting them in the podcast and i was handing him news that he wasn't reading every where was morning. this baltimore oh i see the guy who got me my job up here jackson oh, cool. blue gotcha so so that worked out Eh, we could, we could talk about how well it worked out. I'm here. I'm here. That part worked out. Happiness? I don't know. 
But that's that's for later, <laughs> I guess. Well, dude, the job's not that bad. I enjoy the job. I just can't stand the people in the morning. Yeah, Emil's the only person I can stand. Emil's a good dude, and he's just a dork. That's the, his biggest problem is he's a dork and he's needy to be liked by people. So he's starting to fall in the trap of making fun of of women and picking on them and treating people the same way that they're doing it because he wants to be accepted by them. Well, at the same time, they've well. Two of the worst ones are gone, and one of them, or th- the three worst are gone. Who I happen to love, as you know. Well, you can love them all you want. You're wrong, in my opinion. But, again, you like everybody. I do. Yeah. I do. I call myself, I don't know if you know this, I've called myself the Dennis Whisperer. Whenever, <laughs> whenever, there's, whenever there's an issue at work, someone's like, well, someone's got to talk to Dennis about this. And I'm like, I got it. Wait, how many, how many people just, we get? Just one or two. Well, I get it, not necessarily an issue like that, but, you know, if, if your name comes up, in some way, and uh, let's say there's something that has to be addressed, I say, I'll, I'll talk to him. I got him. Okay, because I don't know what, what conversations have been addressed yet. Other than the ones where it's like, I have to write this up, Dennis, and put it in your permanent record or is, whatever. Is there a permanent Dennis, uh, Dennis record over there? Uh, there's been conversations with me and the boss. There might be. Yeah. There's been I think you're doing fine. I, I always tell people, I say, Den- Dennis is not the problem here. We've no. got bigger problems than Dennis. Oh, one of the big problems is we don't have engineers in the building and everything keeps breaking. Well, something that's interesting to me, too, <laughs> Welcome is, to the world of radio where nothing well, works. You know, I've been working, uh, doing freelance stuff over at WBUR. And, um, you know, we're not, at, at iHeart, we're just not a news gathering organization, which is fine. Like, that's just not how it's set up to be. But we do do news reports. Yeah. So, to me, there's a certain level of quality control that's got to be... That's got to be there. The stories have to be right. And sometimes I'm like writing the story and then I, I read it and it goes out into the ether on on the air. And uh, you're just like, OK, does any like is that are people OK with this? You know, I mean, <laughs> should someone be checking these stories? So at BUR, there's like a you know, there's probably four people, myself included, that are writing. And it's like all these people are dedicated to doing basically what we're doing as one person. So it shows you kind of the levels of checks and balances that go into like news writing and having a good operation. Thankfully, I mean, I think where we work, we have good reporters who care about getting the story right, but it's easy for something to slip by when you don't have, yeah. you know, checks and balances. And that's Oh, there's plenty of times where I'll write in three car crash and it's a four car crash right. or whatever. That's a minor detail yeah, yeah. difference or whatever, but... Or, you know, right lane as opposed to the left lane. And someone's going to call and go, it's the right lane. Yeah. That's close. Not the left one, stupid. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to get things wrong but you, and you kind of have to go out there with something. Um, but, yeah. That's the thing that I always think is I mean, like, traffic, being wrong at traffic is a lot different than saying 53 people were, were killed in Orlando exactly. when it's 23 exactly. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually said the right number and not I the wrong number, right. but yeah. Whatever it is. 49. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, totally. That's when I'm like, basically what we're doing is like communicating, writing and reporting. And like it, the only thing you really have to do is be right. That's it. You know, there's not like 50 different parts of the job that you have to keep an eye on at all times. Like you're kind of focused on like writing a news story and making sure that it's right. So there should, I would think there would be a premium, you know, placed on that by the powers that be sometimes that doesn't, you know, seem to be the case. So, all right. So, but what else is new? Let's let's go back further because you started. I didn't know you started TV. I just assumed you started completely in radio. But oh, I guess. Uh, all right. Let's go before all that because college. Yes. Because you went to school 
focused on writing, correct? No, I was right? I was broadcast journalism. But, broadcast um, journalism. Okay. But uh, so I started at Syracuse, and then after three semesters, I was like, I don't like it. <laughs> and I was at you know, it's a great communication school. Looking back, I really like romanticized my time there. I'm like, oh, that was great. Uh, but at the time, I hated it. I just <laughs> didn't like it. I was like 19, and I don't think I was ready to like live so far from home. So I did three semesters on campus at Syracuse. Then I went to New York City and did a teaching program there and then transferred to BU. So I graduated from BU and studied broadcast journalism. And then I was writing for a while. I moved to New York and was doing music and writing for my first job was at a magazine called Broadcasting and Cable. So it was like a trade publication owned by this a company that had a bunch of other trade publications and you know like one of them was like packaging digest like they wrote about like packaging stuff in, <laughs> in boxes that is more boring than a box factory yeah than anything you could imagine so <laughs> on my worst days there i was like you know we were like the coolest title in a bunch of like not very cool magazines they did own variety which was cool but like writing about the broadcasting industry as a trade publication was kind of interesting and cool so that's how i like met some people in the broadcasting world too cuz i was young but they were letting me it's kind of just an editorial assistant like doing whatever needed to be done for the print publication and then the writing online stories fact checking yeah doing whatever and it's like all right here's a minor story go ahead and yeah. write it up posting stuff on the website but i mean they let me sit in on the pitch meetings and like pitch story ideas and they were just before i left i was there for about a year and a half and the editor-in-chief was kind of like you know there's no reason that anybody that has you know your level of time here can't write a cover story like i want you to be thinking of doing everything that normal reporters are doing here so i ended up interviewing like i got to interview seinfeld which was really cool oh, jerry seinfeld yeah and then no, all the like no, no, Matt no, no seinfeld. yeah jerry's yeah. jerry's brother <laughs> Matt's, yeah, jerry's brother <laughs> his evil brother max um maury povich you know a lot of the guys from the cable world like roland martin and soledad o'brien so it was kind of cool and i got to go cover some like new york media events and like hobnob sort of thing and then um i left to do the play-by-play stuff because that was kind of a long time dream of mine and uh where did you find that job because a lot of people in, in in who go into our industries don't know where to find the job yeah and majority of the people i'm one of them i only have all my jobs because of, of recommendations yeah i've totally. only been able to work in this radio business because somebody said hey send me an applicant for a job and they said dennis go call this yeah person. totally well that's for the 100 how i got my position that's how most of the business works stuff, yeah. yeah the stuff that i've I've gotten has happened. Um, the play-by-play thing at first was a little different because I just like um, didn't really have any contacts in that world. There's a website that I still use. It's called the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, and they will post uh, jobs and you know they have a job posting board. They have kind of a forum where you can talk about give each other feedback on your tapes and stuff like that. It's for like play-by-play nerds. Okay. So um, it's almost like a like a. Like a subreddit almost. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. You have to pay, I think, to sort of host your... You pay monthly, not a lot, to like host a little page. And uh, and it's looked at a lot by people who are trying to hire hmm. sportscasters. So Similar it, to like how voice123.com is for voiceover actors. Yeah, I, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. It could be like one-off gigs or it could be full-time jobs that they're looking for. So um, I knew I needed a demo tape, so I went to a Staten Island Yankees game and like sat as far away from everyone as I could and just called a game into a little recorder and cut that up and put is it. Is that is that how you yes. make a demo tape in that, that uh, world? No. Because if I wanted to get a job at a rock station, I can't sit in well, I could do it here. You could do it here. But yeah. I cuz I have a, 
a, a, a professional setup. Yes. I could do it here and fake it. But if I wanted to before I did this, I couldn't at home with a boom box and a recorder. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do it with my CD player and a, and a, and a recorder yeah. and just talk up songs and then send it to them. There's no – nobody would ever accept that. It was that like tape. an okay MP3 recording device and I don't know why they – Paid attention to it and hired me, but somebody did. How long was the audition tape, though? Uh, did you do the entire game? I did most of the game, but then I cut it up into innings. So usually they want to hear you do like one inning full, okay, and then a couple of like highlight calls, home run calls, or you know plays at the plate. That's so how long your your demo tape? Half hour, forty five minutes? No, no, even less. Like just little clips. The whole all those clips. I mean, combined. a full innings probably well, ten, ten minutes. Ten minutes. You know, eight to ten minutes or less. Ten or fifteen minutes, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So the whole thing was ten or fifteen minutes, and I put it on that site, and then like started emailing a bunch of uh, minor league teams, independent teams. So the first year I was working for a summer collegiate wooden bat league team, kind of like the Cape Cod League, like mm-hmm. elite college prospects, guys that um, you know might be about to be drafted. And uh, so that was in Wilmington, North Carolina, which was cool. That was right on the coast. And I met a lot of awesome people. Now, were you calling the games in North Carolina? Yeah. So you lived in North Carolina for the summer. for the summer. Yeah. And I was paid like, I don't even know what it would come out to, like $3 an hour. And then you do other stuff at the ballpark. Like if it was a rain delay, I'd like go pull the tarp and uh, Mm -hmm. like sell programs. And when there was the 4th of July, 4th of July, uh, six years ago today, um, I was like walking across the outfield at two in the morning, picking up like shell casings from fireworks that had landed on the field. <laughs> so there just was, for extra cash. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. So they'd kind of have you do everything. And then the general manager of that team said, I think you did a really good job this summer. I want to put you in touch with a friend of mine um, who runs a team in Shreveport, Louisiana, who um, that was also independent ball, but it was professional. So it was guys that were trying to get back into the affiliated minor leagues or um, had never been there. Or some guys had been in the majors and were kind of like on their way back down. So it was a big cross-section of different professional ball players. So it was 100 games. It was like the next step up. It was 100 games, like traveled with the team, uh, wrote for the website, handled all the multimedia stuff and the media relations stuff. So that was like a little bit more intense. And I lived in Treeport for a full six months. And um, I would still, I do play-by-play for colleges around here now. I mean, I love doing it, but it's a real grind, and the money's not great, and it's one of those things where I feel like, uh, you know, if the right, if the exact right situation came along, that would be my dream job still, but there just aren't a lot of well-paying jobs in that field. So it's that kind of thing, like, when you get a little bit older, at least for me, it's it wouldn't be worth it to postpone everything else in my life and like go back to some city I've never lived in and and try to make it as a broadcaster so I still do it and I still love it you know so when you were starting out you were you were a hundred well you moved from Boston to Syracuse to New York to and yeah. then North Carolina so you were okay with moving yeah because that's the only way to make it in radio is you have to go to the smaller cities and yeah. do that which is one of the reasons I, I, guess, was... I mean my history of mu- with radio is the music side I don't yeah. know the sports or news stuff yeah that I, well. no I think it is I mean and the same with I think you can move up maybe a little bit quicker in radio than TV I mean when I was in school it was pretty well known from our professors. Like, you know, if you want to be a news reporter, TV news reporter, you start in a local market somewhere that's really small. You have to be willing to like make that sacrifice. Um, So yeah, I was up for it. I mean, at the time I was during those years, I was mostly single and, um, 
and it was my dream, you know. And I'd also got used to traveling for the band, so I liked exploring new yeah. new cities and that sort of thing. My problem with radio when I started out is I it's not that I didn't want to travel. I just really couldn't. Like I knew I couldn't afford to move and live. I couldn't afford what jobs were paying. Right. Couldn't afford to live there. Yeah. Like doing a weekend shift in in Wichita, Kansas. Not going to pay not, me enough to live right. there. So then, why go to a city where I'm by myself, getting paid less money to work two jobs in radio when I can stay in D.C. where I'm making decent money? And that's working. a pretty good market, right? It's a great market. Why yeah. am I going to go backwards in my head? But of course, no, you're you're never going to go from being a engineer in D.C. to being the afternoon host on, on on it, and especially when you're me who has a mouth and a brazen personality. <laughs> I mean, I think that is the only way you get there from there is with a mouth and a brazen personality. Abrasive, 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 abrasive. Yes, abrasive personality. I would say both. Yes, brazen and abrasive. Uh, well, I guess it depends on who who you rub the wrong way. Because <laughs> yes. if 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 the people who don't like you because you rub them the wrong way are the ones in charge. No, it's probably but not if the people happen. who like you for being a rabble rouser They're happen like, to be in charge. This guy's an asshole with a mouth. Yeah. Let's get him in there. Unless there's already an asshole with a mouth. Who's already making $1.5 million a yeah, year. Like, the we've actually show. got enough. We don't of those, need another one. But thank yeah. you for why <laughs> we don't need another rabble rouser. Who's going to cause <laughs> lawsuits. Dennis, let's, yeah. uh, why don't you just stay as an engineer? We can handle one. I think keep plugging wires in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, for me, I was more willing to do that when I was a little bit younger, and now I'm kind of making that compromise. Like, if that's what it takes to, you know, ascend to the highest heights of media, then maybe I don't need that, you know, for myself personally. But it would be nice to make a living. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it's just, I feel like this industry has consolidated so much so, and there's so many people that love it, that it's just a really hard gig to, like, make enough money to get by. So while I was down there in North Carolina and Shreveport doing the minor league stuff, they were basically paying me a stipend, but they were putting me up. Like I lived with this 85 year old couple in Shreveport and was basically their surrogate grandson for a summer. So <laughs> Adorable. They, yeah. So they'd like, you know, they, they said like, Oh, we'll cover your housing, which meant like, we'll scramble around and try to find a, a couple that'll oh, take good. you in. So some of those things happened. And then I was kind of supplementing it with uh, doing some freelance writing for the magazine the, uh, that I had been writing for in New York. And I just kind of like told them like, you know, I need to take a couple hours this afternoon and do this interview because not getting paid enough here to, to make it work. So I think that, you know, if I had any advice for people that are, you know, five years younger than me or 10 years younger than me that want to get into the industry, it's like, you know, just be ready to, you have to love it enough, I think, to be ready to hustle at it and keep going when it seems like there's not uh, a full-time opportunity like staring you in the face, like kind of make make that opportunity for yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, they cover the housing. Is that pretty standard in the, in the minor league I think it is world? there's actually a uh I mean it's pretty standard in minor league baseball to begin with like um I mean that that's takes a lot of your worries out yeah yeah that's pretty nice I mean like if you have to, I mean if you don't mind housing. living with a like a family or a, an 85 year old couple which I guess I didn't at the time but I don't know if I'd want to now but there's a there's like oh, a, it, when I moved here a lot of it when I was looking up apartments here there was a lot of like house shares room yeah, shares yeah. stuff like that and I'm like that's too creepy and weird for me, but yeah. if it's a short period of time, yeah, I can room do it available that. in eighty-five year old couples cat den. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of a weird. I, I'm used to having roommates and people, yeah. yeah, and my roommates have always been people I knew pretty well. 
This was the closest that I, to, to the situation. Strangers. I was, to strangers. This I is mean, working knew, out? Uh, it was working out These great. people are cool? Jesse, well, I knew Jesse from comedy. Mm-hmm. We got along instantly from doing comedy, and he, uh, our third roommate, is his best friend, who I met once or twice and got along with. Uh, but there was the third roommate originally, who I never met until the day I walked in here with two bags. Yeah. Um, three bags or whatever it was that I carried through the rain. All of your here. belongings. Yeah, more or less. Everything else was in storage, but like a couple weeks worth of clothing so I could go in between laundry shoes. Now, so are you stuff. sticking around in Boston? Do we have Do we have Dennis here for for, for the foreseeable for future? Yeah. At least another year while I just signed a new lease on oh, this good. apartment. Good, good. But who knows what will happen between now and a year. I see Dennis in New York at some point. Actually, LA is my, oh, my, cool. my comedy plans. My entertainment plans is to leave here and move to LA. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to Austin, Texas. However, when you're talking about being in the entertainment industry, age is kind of important deal. So at 35, I'm a little too old to start over in another city, develop, mm-hmm. get myself well known there, and then move to LA. Eventually, yeah. at some point, when you're doing stand up comedy, you have to move to either New York or LA. Yeah. Uh, if you want to be a straight up stand up comic who's doing three, four shows a night and hustling throughout the city and then occasionally doing touring, New York. It, I see you as a New York guy, attitude wise. LA is like pretty nice. I, well, I'm born. I have, I like New York. I've been. I enjoy it. I love urban environments, which that very much is. I would totally go to New York. But if you want to do more than just stand up, if you want to do like guest starring on TV shows, plays, theatrical stuff, if you want to get into a much more broader comedy world than just standing on stage with a microphone talking, and if you want to do the road, LA is where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, in theory, now granted, you can do the road from anywhere. You can. There's a great comedy scene in Chicago, but literally the penultimate, or not the penultimate, but the ultimate places for you to go to do comedy is New York or LA. Have you done it in LA yet? I have not been to LA. We, the farthest um, west I've been was I went camping in Cimarron, New Mexico. Flew into Denver, took a bus down to Cimarron, New Mexico, for, nice. for to go to a scout ranch for two weeks, ten days on the trail. What is that? A scout ranch? Uh, it's a Boy Scout ranch. It's oh. Philmont. It's the largest, most well-known Boy Scout uh, camp um, in the world. But but it's actually a working ranch as well. So oh, cool. It's a scout ranch, whatever. Scout camp. Um, it's, a, it's outside of this tiny podunk fucking one little one light street town. Yeah. Called Cimarron, New Mexico. It's where they shot the movie Lonesome Dove. Uh, oh, okay. That's its biggest yeah. claim to fame is they shot the movie Lonesome Dove there. Nice. Uh, so I went there as a. 17, uh, what was I? Oh, this uh, was Little Dennis. This was 19, this was 96, so at 15. Yeah, I was only there, I was gone for two weeks. Little Dennis. Uh, but Austin, but again, I love Austin, but I was only there for 35 hours, yes. and I read the subreddit, so. Yeah. Maybe I won't love it, uh, if I ever moved to Austin, maybe I won't love it as much as I think I will, but I'm, uh, um, fascinated. I'm as fascinated with Austin now as I was with Boston when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. When I wanted to move here. As far as the, so you were attracted to Boston from the comedy mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Uh, well, I was I was attracted here because of the punk scene and yeah. just kind of the Irish subculture that we were going through in yeah. the early two thousands, where it's like Irish everything. Yeah. Um, that we kind of haven't really gotten out of, but it's not nearly as prominent. I'm I always guess. amazed by like the comedians that came out of Boston. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, and yeah, so I was many. also again a huge fan of the Boston comedy scene, yeah. uh, the old Boston comedy scene. Boston comedy scene now is nothing what it yeah. was before, but whatever. That's a whole different can of worms. Well, we were in um, L.A. last year, uh, last May, and. Uh, I usually get out there once a year, although I haven't this year. So we were there in May and we went to the comedy store with mm-hmm. a friend of mine who lives there. And um, I guess I had this thought. It was my first time really seeing comedy in L.A. And I guess I had this thought that, like, this is going to be, like, the cream of the crop. And uh, yeah. it wasn't. I mean, we just went to kind of an open mic sort of thing. And uh, a couple people from 
shows that you might recognize, like having little guest spots on and stuff. But in general, I was like, I don't think that anyone here is necessarily that much funnier than anyone that anywhere else. Yeah. You know? yeah. And some of them aren't because some right. people are just starting out in LA right. and that's where they're doing it. Like I have friends who've been doing comedy a few years longer than me and they're living in LA. Some people start doing comedy in LA, which is kind of a weird thing, but it's one of those, you're only, you're going to get as, you're only going to be able to get as good as the environment you're in. Mm-hmm. So if you start in a hard environment, you should be able to get good that much faster in theory. Or you'll right. burn out faster right. and quit the business. So different schools of thought, different trains. They, they thought, uh, a lot of the people in uh, who are not uh, – there are people in L.A. and New York who are amazing comedians because they developed and got good somewhere else, came here and got better, yeah. came there rather, and got better. So you're going to find those good people as well out there. But you're also going to find people like me who's been doing it a couple of years and you know they're – Still figuring their way out through. Things. I don't know if LA would be ready for for Dennis Mayo. I don't know. I'm just New tired York of, is ready. I well, I'm 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 sick of seeing the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of looking at, at street signs that are named after places in England. Like I'm tired of the whole British influence yeah, Second yeah. City stuff. Like I just want to get out of here. Like the when I went to Austin, it was the the color palette's different. The architecture is yeah. different. There's so much. I love Austin. different experience for me. That I would, I they're they're gonna be. I'm gonna romanticize being there for a while, probably longer than I was here. Because when I moved here, it's like this is not that much different than Baltimore. It's not that much different than DC. Yeah, people are the same. Neighborhoods are the same. Names are the same. The thing like my first, the first place I lived when I moved here, I was a block away from a street called Eastern Avenue. I lived for seven years in Baltimore City, a block away from Eastern Avenue, which is supposedly really nice in Baltimore. My neighborhood was all right. That's a big avenue, I guess. Oh, Eastern Avenue is a oh yeah, Eastern Avenue is so a main thoroughway through yeah. Baltimore City. Yeah, through uh, East Baltimore City, southeast area. I lived a block away from that, so I moved four hundred miles a block away from Eastern Avenue, four hundred miles to another block away from Eastern and Avenue. Here you I was are like, again. That's I, I, it's probably a stupid thing to focus on, but it's something that that immediately struck me when I when I, when I moved in there. So everything's kind of just named the same, and it's just I want to move on. So it's it's I'm a little envious that you in your early 20s, did that. You got the experience, different cities and moving around between music and between doing um, sports casting and reporting. So when you were doing that, how did you go from doing sports casting, minor league sports casting, to writing news for Channel 7? Well, I came back to Boston uh, at the end of 2011 and was living at home for a little while, like up in the suburbs, and uh, needed a job. I was working... I worked for a few months for my hometown youth services. Like it's like a youth development group who are awesome guys. And they like help my band out a lot when we were younger. And they're all about kind of empowering young people to do different things. They've been working on building a youth center for years. So I was like kind of working on that campaign a little bit. Uh, there was a big vote related to the youth center. So I was we kind were of basically like, like doing marketing or campaigning or what was it? It was kind of campaigning. Okay. I was kind of like doing media outreach only for a town. You know, there was a town vote. So we were kind of making like getting voters to come out to this special election that had been called. Um, and it was my only like foray into like local politics. And it kind of like gave me a sense of what that would be like. But that was the one cause that since I was little, there were all different. There were so many kids from my hometown that had grown up wanting to have this youth center. So I felt like I was kind of like pushing the ball across the finish line. And it is now built, which is really cool. Um, I was like a small part of it. But this vote, uh, they, they voted for it. And if if they had voted against it, basically the youth services group were going to be like, okay, like we're we're done with this youth center project. We're going to go back to just focusing on serving the kids because the community uh, 
you know, doesn't seem to want it. But the what, community. Where was this youth center? And what neighborhood? Andover. Andover, Andover Mass. Okay. Yeah, that's where I grew up. So it's a great group. And there is now this awesome youth center there that they'd been trying to build for like a quarter of a century. So, so that was cool. While I was there for those few months at the end of 2011, I was applying to media jobs and kind of worried like maybe I've, I haven't been doing anything directly related to like news for a couple of years. Um, I don't know, just concerned about like, am I, have I been out of the game for too long, which wasn't the case, but that's uh, my biggest fear that if I, if I get out, if I lose, as soon as I lose my job, I'm never going to be able to get back in. Yeah. Sometimes I also think it's easier to get hired once you've been fired or once you're out of work. Like, I I don't know. I've watched more people get better, uh, more coworkers get better jobs after being fired. We know a couple of them, in fact. Yeah. Well, even people in DC and, and like. I, I've known so many people who have failed upwards yeah. in radio yeah. that I think they're more like if you apply while you have a job, they're like, nah, there's too many out of work people, dude. Sorry. Maybe. I don't know. That's just I don't a know. theory I mean, in my I, head. Yeah, yeah. Or I, mean, I suck and nobody wants to hire me while I'm working <laughs> or say, while I'm unemployed. I mean, the opposite but that's my of fear. That, if I, get, if yeah. I lose my job, I'm never going to be able to totally. get back in. And I, I mean, if you have uh, the desire to like go do something like pursue the dream of comedy or the dream of music, like I think it is. I didn't think about it as much when I was younger, but I think it is kind of a, a concern just to, on a practical level, I mean, I think if you're talented and, and you stay connected to people in, in the industry like that, you know, it, it'll all work out somehow. But uh, there was a concern on my part of like, I don't know if I'm really like in this field enough that people know that I'm out there and have this skill set. Uh, so, but I had worked at, uh, I had interned at Seven News like years before in college. Okay, and so then you're I, already affiliated with yeah, that. Yeah, so I, that was the other like really helpful thing was that internship. So I was I had interned there and I had also been like a desk assistant at the assignment desk, just kind of like doing whatever they asked me to do from the desk. So they knew me a little bit and I had applied for the writer job earlier that year and ultimately said no because I was still working on that youth services campaign. So I was like constantly in touch with them, like seeing what their needs were. Um and so that's how I got in there was basically I had had that earlier connection and we'd kind of been in conversation about it. And the job was cool. I mean, I don't really love the brand of news that that Seven News does. I mean, I think it's like pretty overly sensationalized and dramatic. I'm not sure it was I mean, like... Is that different than any other local news? Theirs is. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. More I mean, certain. I don't know because yeah. I, don't, I don't watch local news. Yeah. I mean... Technically. That is, I mean, it's on on the TV in front of me, but, but it sounds muted. off and I'm paying no yeah. attention. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I think all of them have veered towards some kind of sensationalization of violence and crime and that sort of thing. But uh, but those guys to the to the nth degree. All right. Well, let's let's yeah. let's have a tangent on that for a second. Are they do are they sensationalize the news because that's what the news people do in your opinion, or do you think that's that's what the audience wants? Because think about how many times we get a tip line call from somebody who's saying it's the worst traffic ever, mm-hmm. and then we'll go on the news and report it as being the worst traffic ever ever, and it's not that bad. It's maybe even like normal traffic. normal traffic, you know, or snowstorm or something area, like that. Yeah, like you. I, that's when I started realizing I was getting the tip lines from people telling us how bad everything is and then listening to the weather report and talk about how this is the worst weather ever. And it's like, clearly not the worst weather ever. Yeah. So are you making up newscaster or is it we're giving the people what they want because that's what the people think it I is I think anyway. it's a confluence of a bunch of different things. First of all, I think it is um, – there. there's a segment of the population that is very much titillated by – terrible news 
And I don't think that's any... By the way, great job using the word titillating when not referring to <laughs> things that can get you fined by the FCC. <laughs> Just doing my part. Uh, there, I think there there are people that are titillated by that, uh, by kind of sensationalist news coverage, crime, gore, guts. Um, but I think, at least from what I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, but I think there's some truth to it that... Um, you know, the news industry is in such a changing, like a sea change, and it's just so cheap to produce news that's, you know, send someone out to cover a terrible fire, send someone out to cover a terrible murder. The number of stories that I've seen that really have context and like tell you about the, you know, a, a deeper storyline or a story that it might have deeper magnitude uh, on people is like really few and far between, even on like news stations that have that pedigree of doing that kind of coverage. I think it's like really lacking. So I think it's a some of it is serving the audience what they want. Some of it's giving sensationalist sort of stories to an audience that that might crave that. Um, and then the biggest thing I think is just money. Like I think it's just easier to produce that kind of content. Like and it goes beyond news too. Like sometimes I, I love sports. I watch like ESPN all the time. And uh, you know, first take, which is one of their first take, is on from. I guess what 10 to noon 10 a.m to noon and it's basically sports. like sports all right yeah. it's basically two talking heads you know skip bayless uh, who's now leaving and stephen a smith and basically they pontificate at each other for two hours okay. and they argue with each other and it's sports talk yeah yeah it's sports talk and uh it does really good ratings for that day part for that time of the day and it's super and it's, at some point i'm like man like this show is like basically you know, you just pay for the cameras and the two guys to go at each other. There aren't many production elements. There aren't many other people. Uh, it's like, cheaply made. It's yeah. super cheaply made. So I think like audiences... It's cost effective. Yeah, it's cost effective. I think audiences like um, aren't always aware that like the news that they're consuming or the content they're consuming is like a direct effect of just the economics of it. And... So one thing that's been cool from being over at BUR a little bit and starting to get my feet wet over there is that I think they do, you know, I think public radio does a lot of more long-form stories that you don't hear told on other networks. One of the things I like about radio is you can kind of tell different kinds of stories than you can for TV because in TV a lot of times I would hear like, uh, there's, you know, if we don't have the pictures for that or if it's not a compelling story visually, like we're not going to do it. And like, you know, a lot of stories about policy and uh politics and legislation like those aren't interesting on tv like seeing someone sign a bill yeah. so i think more of that is a bunch of stuffy be... white guys in yeah. suits sitting around yeah. yeah so i think more of that can be done on radio and more of it should be done on tv all right well is that a fair assessment of the current tv news landscape yeah no i guess it is <laughs> more I, or less I guess it is. kind well, of all right let me go and we'll go back to seven in a second let me ask you this would you prefer doing like ideally out of these three things, what is your, your, your favorite choice? Doing sports coverage, anchoring a local news, being a talking head on, on, on local news, or doing like Vice docu-style news stories. They don't have to be intense or anything like that, but doing a yeah. long form, more documentary-style news story. I think all three of them would appeal to me. Uh, I mean, sports has really always been my, my first passion, although I've found that like working in the sports field at times you'll encounter people who are like just you know totally one dimensional like sports is their life and that's not really for me either so maybe the long form type of you know vice documentary style thing is something that that's also up my alley but uh yeah first choice would probably be to be like a to be a sports anchor 
okay. and uh, and move more in that direction. I, what I've noticed is the problem is sometimes it's Bob Euchre, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Joe Castiglione, the Red Sox guy, and Vince Scully, and. So whether it's play-by-play or anchoring sports coverage or reporting on sports, I think that would be my first – that's still my first love. Although I've noticed, and you probably agree too, like it's pretty easy to get pigeonholed. And that's what I've said to our boss is like I'm happy to do all the traffic coverage you need because like I understand that that's basically our bread and butter here. But like I, I just don't want to be in the position where that's all I'm doing because I feel like my interests personally are much more on the news and sports side than on the traffic reporting side. Okay. All right. So yeah. let's go back to seven. You were in. You're working on this campaign to get this community center youth built. Yeah. Youth center built in Andover. You're talking to seven about coming back to work for them after being an intern for them after so long. Mm-hmm. What did they just? Did the job open up overnight? News writer or? It was like, at first I think there was a part time position available and then somebody had left. There was a lot of turnover in the news writer positions there. I think because they. You know, didn't pay a lot. They're kind of, en- well, they're not entry level, but they're jobs like if you wanted to be a producer or a director, or I guess not a director, but if you want to be a producer or do some other kind of journalism within local TV news, I think Newswriter is a decent place to start for a number of things that aren't on air. I don't think you really go from Newswriter to on air. So there was just a lot of turnover there, it seemed like, with the Newswriters. And so um, I told them initially, like, I'm kind of in the middle of working on this campaign, but I'm definitely going to be looking for something in a few months. So Let's stay in touch. And then I followed up with them, and they did have a position available. Um, originally, it was writing. I was kind of being trained on the evenings. So it was like, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon till 11.30 at night, which took a big bite out of the <laughs> out of the social calendar. And oh, then, yeah. And then they were like, uh, which I find they do a lot in, in the media industry. It's like, we love the work you're doing, and we want to, you know, put your resources here. And, good use here. Yes, yeah. which ended up being like the morning news. Um and working overnight. Yeah, but I mean, one to nine is not a terrible shift. I found it to be pretty terrible. I'm talking one. Well, a- I meant well. I'm a night owl for yeah. one, but two. One a.m. to nine a.m. Yeah, oh. I could still go out and do things. Oh my god, like, I could still go out and you're, do comedy and then go to yeah, work. Yeah, you're like Jesse in that you're a maniac. Um, in like you don't get tired, or you do get tired, but you just. I just. I'm always tired. You push through. <laughs> I am. I'm too. just consistently well, tired. Well, there were definitely. I don't nights. know what it's to be. I don't know what it is to be well rested. Yes. So I have nothing to compare. Which I guess I, I'm tired all the time. I guess is the best of, of both worlds. I was like, the worst I ever did, uh, the, the tiredest I think I've ever been, and when I was kind of like, okay, something needs to change here because these overnights just aren't working for me. If I had been more disciplined with it, it would have been different, but uh, I just, I couldn't be. So like, we had a show one night in New York on a Sunday night, and it was with a fr- my friend's band, and we played at like eight on a Sunday night, and then drove played from like eight to nine nine thirty and then drove all the way back to boston and i just like went to work from one thirty to you know nine in the morning and at the end of it i was just like fried and was like i have to try to get off this shift so i talked to them about it and basically it was like you know i've done this for eight or ten months i like this job i like the writing but uh the hours are just kind of slowly killing me and they uh, they they were like you know like we understand and there's not we can't really move you right now but at some point we will um, we know that you want to be moved off the mornings and then uh, Jesse was like but isn't morning news like the pinnacle of local news or is it yeah. evening news I guess uh, well it, I guess it depends I mean because on... in radio 
the mo- the highest paid is people morning is morning drive. Yeah. I assume it's the same thing with TV news. I think so. Although for the news writers, I think everyone was kind of paid the same yeah. lowly amount. No matter what yeah. no, what time you were yeah. writing news. Okay. And so now, I mean, even at iHeart, I was doing 10 to 6 for uh, almost a year here when I took over for Sauce. And that's so nice. But it, I also realized that's just not really, you know, like you said, if you want to be talking to the most amount of people, it's probably early mornings. So I've just started to get used to that. But I've found that even like working from five to noon or five to one is easier for me than just like straight up, you know, overnights. Okay. So that's where I ended up moving to iHeart was Jesse would like come downstairs to shoot the breeze with us in Channel 7 and then started taking me upstairs. And was it's so funny, like how sometimes for jobs, like just being in the right place and then just also being like, yeah, I think I could do this, um, like just sometimes end up working like he that's was, how i got into engineering totally yeah like, like, I, I'm I got here. hired I, I got hired at a sports talk a right wing political talk station and a sports talk station in dc in dc got hired to do just board hopping recommended from my teacher the pro the uh, operations manager called the teachers and said, hey i knew new board up send me your students i'm the only one who got hired uh so you sent me i'm the only one who got hired i worked there less than a year and a pos- overnight position in engineering opened up, and one of the engineers that I I talked to all the engineers because I was usually there late, and I was working the what the, station was this? Uh, it was WTNT five seven uh, five seventy AM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the house for G Gordon and Liddy, and uh, what's that jerk off Kornheiser? Tony Kornheiser. Tony Kornheiser. I love Tony. When Tony was in, uh, when he was doing DC radio, he was was G Gordon Liddy in the studio? He was down the hall. Did you he meet was him? in our building? Uh, I've walked past him. I was specifically told don't talk to him. Wow. Same thing with Kornheiser. Don't look at him. Don't we look. Not, don't even look Gordon at him. Liddy oh, Kornheiser was a terrible, awful human being. Really? Yeah. G. Gordon Liddy, I guess, was kind of nice. But Kornheiser's like, a little... Uh... He was, uh, Korn- I mean, if you listen to Gordon's politics, he's a fucking nutbag yeah. and a misogynist and just incognito. That's kind of what I... He's in Tupperware containers, allegedly, in the studio. But, oh, really? Yeah, allegedly, oh, he pees gross. in Tupperware containers in the studio. I have to say that, allegedly. I mean, if you have to... Yeah, get through it with no breaks. Yeah, well, uh, so yeah, his signal would go from down the hall to New York through a satellite, boom, right back down to fifty feet down the hall to me. Because he was going to multiple stations. Yeah, yeah, at the time, so we were paying the syndication. So were you running the board there? Yeah, for yeah. that. And usually I was doing nights. So I was like Jimbo Hannon, uh, Michael Savage, all right wing stuff. Oh yeah, and I was running O's games when they weren't on Sports Talk nine eighty. Oh, that's cool. So when the I was the second second person in charge of running the O's games. Was that fun? It was great. I loved it. That's I awesome. loved listening to the O's games, the yeah. Orioles, and uh, watching you know and cutting. So up like the they'd come coverage. back. They'd come back from. Uh, they'd go to break at the end of an inning, and you'd fire off the board and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Uh, well, we were getting the feed from WBAL, the flagship station. Okay. We were yeah. just the flagship resender in DC. So I see. If you want to listen to an O's game in DC, you were listening to either Sports Talk 980 or 570. Cool. Um. So yeah, it was good. It was. Fun. Do you miss running a board? Uh. No. Yes and no. I mean, I have no problem running a board. Like, if I went back to radio again, I'd run my own board. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I've never thought... I never have thought fondly of board hopping. Yeah. It's part of the job. It's like saying, do you miss writing notes by hand? Well, I do miss... Like, I was running the board a little bit of BU for the student-run station, you know, occasionally. And at EEI overnights for a few months, like the summer after I graduated, that was kind of like my first first job in radio and uh so now at bur one of the things they're training me for is hopefully to do some anchoring in the evenings and run the board and uh you know it's it's fun to like be back hitting buttons and of yeah. course like i'm still training so i don't know what i'm doing but i'm just kind of like oh like this is cool because where we are you just like 
patch in, you know, hit two buttons and yeah. they do all the rest. So it's kind of cool to be, it's funny because a lot of, I think people now either do a lot of the old time guys at BUR, I think are used to like, of course you run your own board and you do yeah. the news updates and all that. And then, yeah, the way uh, we have things wired baffles my mind. Yeah. Especially with like BZ, like how the copter doesn't get us. The BZ feeds the copter feed and the copter gets a different feed. Yeah. How does that work? Studio. It, doesn't work yeah. if you ask me. It's a terrible setup. But they can hear they're they're getting a feed up there. They're get, both getting, but they're getting two different feeds from two different locations of BZ. Hmm. They are getting two different feeds, and I don't understand why they're not getting the same thing. They're at the like, same time. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes yeah. the copter's not getting pre-delay. Like, I, it baffles me that my way, the way it should be set up, is BC sends us a feed, we send that feed to the copter, and then we send them the copter. So. The weird thing is, is the copter and the studio get different feeds from BZ, and I think they're both going to BZ differently as well. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense the way they have anything set up. They don't send us a mixed minus. They actually send us a slightly delayed processed feed. It's like, why are we getting a processed feed? Why don't we get an unprocessed feed? What's a feed? processed feed? Uh, that's going through equalizers and oh, towers and all that other stuff. Yeah. It's what referred to audio-wise, it's the wet mix where we should be getting the dry, which is nothing. We should right. be getting straight from the console feed. But we're not, and I, we've gone through so much of this, and I, George yeah. tries to explain why they're doing it and why they can't do things, and I'm like, that makes zero sense. Yeah. That they can't send us the mix from the studio minus ourselves, because that's all that, like, that was my primary job in DC when I was doing remote broadcasts, was to have the console set up to where all you have to do is press a button, I get the right feed, they get me, and that's how we and do it in it. sports, yeah. too. Yeah. When I'd go, when we were doing sports commenting, I'd engineer a few sports games for, for the for the sports reporters, they'd be at Wake Forest College reporting the game. I'm sending the audio back to the studio. So why is why is the way we're, I've been doing everything and the way the industry has been doing anything not capable for BZ that's been doing news? How long have you been doing years? it this way? Oh, it's since the beginning of radio, of probably. Time. Yeah, since the beginning of, of all time. There's they're funny... sending us weird feeds that I don't understand why, and it's because their studios wired weird, or their engineers I think don't know what they're doing. I would love to have like a few hours, either just me or just one or two engineers up from DC who are brilliant, amazingly smart engineer guys, have them come up, walk through the thing. Their heads will explode from the way I hear things are done over there. Their heads will explode why everything's done so stupidly. But I think a few hours we can get that place into shape. Get them in get there, Danny. I, I, you well placed phone calls. Not my. I'm not well, the one in control. There are funny uh, workflow issues on a, on like a similar level um, with the traffic. It's like um, it's just funny things that people that are watching on TV would have no idea about. But it's like the so I'll check in. Where's the helicopter? You know, mm -hmm. and then uh, I'll get an email back from our producer or a text message. From email. Yeah, saying uh, you know. Do you, how do you contact back and forth with the email? By I just the way? use Gmail, like Gchat. Okay. Do you? Oh, so you use Gchat? Yeah. Instant messaging. Yeah. Okay. And he's really prompt, you know. So like yeah, I he's say, on top of that. yeah. So uh, you know, he'll tell me where it is. The copter's on ninety three in Somerville, and then I'm watching the copter, and I'm being told like we have ninety seconds till you go on the air. Well, before you go on the air. You have to walk into the studio, like physically walk into the studio. And there are no... Whereas before, you just kind of turned your chair to the microphone. Yeah, and you, you, can, and you have the helicopter in your sights the whole time. So if, you're, if, if you've been told you're on 93 in Somerville, but two minutes later, you know, the helicopter could go anywhere really fast. So two minutes later, you're clearly like in Dorchester on the expressway or something. You can make that 
you, you know that, and you yeah. can just say that when you come on the you air. You have to. Well, you can't do it in the studio, so you walk into the TV studio, and there's maybe 90 seconds to air, and you're thinking like, all right, we're going to start with the helicopter that's in Somerville. And you know, you're doing it blind because you don't have any monitors in the studio. So by the You don't t- have any monitors in the air studio? You can see it. Um, they'll, they'll switch it on just before you go on the air. But other than that, the monitors are, you know, they're using the monitors for other um, bits of imagery, like... Uh, and the lower thirds that come up during the... Like, if you go to the copter feed, there's a lower... There's a yes. title and, card that comes up at the bottom and that says I've, 93 in Somerville. Yes. And, and that's, mean, but that's done by the TV, not by us. Right. So, meanwhile, two minutes late, so they're like, all right, what are we looking at? And I'll take a look at the copter and be like, this is the expressway in East Milton. But the thing pops up, 93 Somerville, you know? So that thing happens... Hopefully not a lot, but things like that are just like, you know, workflow issues that I think people, all the audience is like, why'd you get that wrong? You know, and, and it should be fixed. But like, sometimes I feel like things like that happen for reasons that people would be surprised at. Like literally the reason that's happening is because I have to walk from here into there. Yeah. yeah. And that's that issue. Yeah. Uh, Like, is there an easier, like in your opinions, now that you've been doing this, is there an easier way that you think that that can be done? I think there are easier ways that a few things can be done, but uh, it is tricky because, you know, we work in one studio for one company and then uh, and then there's a basically there are clients, you know, so there's kind of like two different uh, operations that you're trying to be in contact with. But yeah, I mean, that one you could definitely probably figure out a, a quick fix for it. I just get so used to doing things one way that you don't even... Oh, I didn't even realize, Denny, that this on-air sign is on. You've got this red on-air button. Anyways, he's left. He's he's getting a water right now. But he's got an on-air, like, one of those buttons that look like they that say easy. He's got one of those. I didn't know there was an on-air button here. Thank you. That's cool. Well, I, you were doing a great job of pretending I wasn't in the room. I told everyone. <laughs> I said he left. Well, no. You, okay, I don't usually do this. I figure I can get away with you. That I was just like, keep talking stretch, while, I go fill your, while I fill your water for you. Because it is a little warm in here. So. There was, going back to the NECN thing, there have been a couple times, people are like, how long are the reports? I'm like, I don't really know. I just start talking and they tell me when to wrap. And usually I think it's, you know, 45 to 60 seconds. We've had a couple of occasions where I'm like, I think somebody passed out in the in the control room. It's like, <laughs> I'm going on for like two and a half minutes. The longest one literally was like two so and a half you, minutes. Your, your reports aren't written. You're just off the fly, yeah, off the yeah. cuff. Off the fly. Because that's not what our guys do. Who's that? None of our guys do. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they literally just read from, from a, the prompter. From the prompter. So that's, Which is, that's my issue with a lot of them is like, if you can't, if you can't just take the elements and read them, like, I, that's why I love our system, the company system, CC Traffic. Uh, is because I can just take the elements. The few times I do report when somebody yeah. is stuck in traffic. Well, I'm no longer the defunct. Uh, You're not. Uh, I was never really the, the defunct go-to guy. But Katie would let me do things when something happened because I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Now it's Renee. Renee is the you know George's pick. The go-to. Renee, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. George, I've given George tapes. He's like, yeah, I want to hear more from you. I've given him tapes. He gives me no critique. This was his critique. Your voice goes up an octave when you report. I'm like, yeah, because I'm smiling, because I'm happy. <laughs> you've never heard You're me like, happy, It's a George. different uh, tenor than you've ever heard before. <laughs> so would you rather do on-air stuff? Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy behind the mic. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I mean, you've never done anything producing other than writing news, right? Yeah. Yeah, not really. Yeah, I've produced, and I'm okay with producing. I enjoy it. And that's one reason why, I, to go back to the the question about running a console, to say that what I love to go back to, I'm like, I... Don't have any romance towards it because right. that's part of the job. Yeah. 
it's always been part of the job. So to say, would you want to go back to it? It's like, I have to go back to it if I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't imagine not being in this business and not running my own board. Not doing that. But that was the thing is with CC Traffic, that's how I wrote all my breaks in music was, if I'm going to talk about something, bullet points. Mm -hmm. And maybe one or two lines of what I'm going to say and then riffing in between them. It's kind of how I write my comedy too. So that's what CC Traffic gives me. These guys, literally, you could take the BZ reports, the Bloomberg reports from five different people, right? And play them, and they're all the exact same report from five different voices. Well, that's kind of the blessing and the curse of like having a teleprompter putting out that all that you know information to you. And I agree. I mean, so when I do any of your stuff come on a prompter, like do you at least have your notes up on a prompter? No, no, you're completely free. Yeah, you're just winging it. Well, not winging it, but uh, riffing. You know, yeah, you're kind of. I mean, thinking about you know what are the two or three main accidents that i want to hit and you use the maps to help you so like if there's a bunch of active accidents out there uh you can you know sometimes i'll add in uh some text dialogue to the map so i can remember like exactly what what that is okay like so this is route three so you have no notes or anything in front of you no Although Which I, is different than radio, because, I mean, you had the notes in the prompter. Yeah, I asked them initially when I was moving over there to do mornings. I was like, so can I get access to that prompter? And they said no, for some reason. I don't really know why it wouldn't be active from the NECN studio either. But Because uh, it's it's hosted on our internal drive. Right. Yeah, so so there's a way to, of doing it, but you have to be able to, um, to VPN map it. into the yeah. network. Um, yeah. Now, if you want, there's a way I can have, have you have access to that computer on your phone. Some some stealth maneuver? Uh, no, no, not nothing stealth. I just I used to do it myself in DC. That I um, there's virtual private network applications. You just have to know the SSL logins, which iHeart gives you. You just yeah. have to go to a certain uh, company, uh, log into a company thing. To Is this all on the stuff. up and up? Can I get in? Oh, trouble it's completely for this? legal. Yeah, it's very much. You would just basically. Did I you was say able... legal or illegal? Oh, it's totally legal. It's oh, cool. Totally po- it's within company policy. Uh, most of the time, they won't give these passwords to just anybody. Like I had all the passwords because I was an engineer, so I could set it up on people. I used to, yeah. dude. I used to run our radio stations from my iPhone. Yeah. Like literally, open my iPhone. Like, Isn't that wild? That we got into that point in technology, it's yeah. crazy. But I could ter- oh, turn on my iPhone, oh, unlock my iPhone, click a button, open an app, click a button, wait, and then there's the studio, the computer that drives the studio, right in front of me. Right there at my fingertips, and I can activate songs. I can move things around, mm-hmm. put different things in. I can open up the segueing tools. And it, some of this probably doesn't mean anything to you because you never work. Very with. little. You, yeah, you don't know the next gen system, which is what runs all our music radio stations in iHeart. Yeah. But I can, you know, you know Do what segueing is element to element mm-hmm. transitions. I can adjust all that. And there's a different app where I can record it, my voice. Then we, we built these apps for news. So if I'm at an app, if I'm at a news scene, I open the app, I record my my re- news report into it, edit it, hit another button, boom, automatically loads into the system back at the studio. Would, would they do app. that? We have it. Yeah. But that's the thing is, and so what you would have to do is, uh, you know what a VPN is, virtual yeah. private network. It's basically remote desktop. Yeah. You would just remote desktop into a computer that or a server that, that has that, right. that. that So your, your, your computer in your studio, and then you can look at it that way. Right. Do it on an iPad, laptop tablet whatever you just have to be able to you just have to know all the passwords for all that stuff to get into it 
Well, and all that is awesome, but at this point, I wouldn't want to do it. No, yeah. Because you're doing it the better way, well, in my I think, opinion. I, you're doing the way that takes actual talent. Well, thank you, Donnie. No, I, in, my mind, way. in my mind, it has made me a better broadcaster because I'm kind of like, um, you know, because like, like I said, when there's breaking news that happens or there's something that it, uh, forces you to kind of talk on the fly, you're comfortable doing, doing that. that yeah. And that is one thing that, uh, that our, one of our dearly departed uh, recent retirees um, said to me was, he said, even if you don't, you know, like want to do traffic reporting for your career, you're building skills that are yeah. really applicable to other things because it's all basically uh, yeah. improv. You go on for a minute and you, you know. Yeah, I don't look at anything I've done. Like when I was doing Top 40 radio uh, and looking at celebrity news, I looked at all of that as just news. Mm-hmm. It's different, different content, but it's all still news. Totally. And that's how I've approached the traffic reporting. And like I... There's some people that I've noticed that, you know, there are people we work with that are like passionate about traffic. There's weather guys that I've been working with, you know, who are passionate about weather and all that's awesome. Uh, For me, it's just not my, I'm passionate about the communications process and about broadcasting. And if traffic is kind of the avenue that kind of introduces me to that world, then like, I'm happy to do it. But I can't say that like, you know, for me, like it all stops and ends with reporting traffic news because it's just not really my like my you know inherent passion but all right so let's talk about are you learning more about tv news now that you're in there because you used to do everything from our building yeah now you're with them at any i found out we are the only people that call them naked everyone else calls them NECN. Yeah. when i was younger i feel like i used to call it necken a lot more although i knew it was necn too well, I, but... the reason i found out nobody calls it necken is because i said necken in front of a bunch of other comedians we were talking about something like, what the fuck is necken like what like new england cable news yeah oh necn yeah. it's like yeah but don't you go- i don't they're, know if they aren't ever- they owned by the same company that has nesson new england sports news like yeah that's nesson yeah but they're not owned by the same people yeah they are aren't they no i thought Ness- necken and nesson were the same same no no nesson's owned by the red sox but people make that mistake to people say to me a lot like oh i heard you're on nesson and i'm like no Oh, I'm on NEC. I thought they were the. I thought NECN, they were sisters. No, because NECN is now owned by uh, is owned by Comcast, and they're getting ready to bring. And N- Comcast didn't own Nesson. No, and Ever. Nesson. No, Nesson is owned by the Red Sox. Oh, really? Yeah, and have been for a long time. Did not know that. Yeah. Okay, because I Danny. definitely found out about uh, Nesson when I first moved here through Dirty Water TV. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, just looking around for entertainment and news media stuff, trying to get myself acclimated to the comedy scene. I came across Dave Russo, who's a comedian who has that thing. Mm-hmm. And I oh, Dirty Water. Dirty Water. Yeah, yeah he's an Did you do stuff Water. for them? I auditioned to be a new uh, host for their Friday night streaming stuff and got beat out by Miss New Hampshire. Oof. Hate, it was hate when it was happens. never my job to have in the first place. You would, you no would have been way, awesome at that. Oh, I'm t- I was great at it. Great. No, high energy, fast. Where'd you quick. audition at Nesson? Uh, whatever the bar, um, the greatest bar. Oh yeah, I think yeah. is what it's called. Yeah. That's where they run a lot of their stuff out of. They're doing some new live Friday night streaming. Where's stuff. that place by the garden? Yeah, right across yeah, yeah, the garden. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so it was like me and two other like twenty some year old pretty girls. Who auditioned? They did a bunch of these things, auditioned, and eventually they settled with, as far as I can tell, they never called me to say, hey, fuck off. Hey, thanks for coming. None of that stuff, which is kind of annoying, but I don't begrudge them. Like, yeah. when you look at pictures of her, oh boy, no wonder they went with her. You can't competing. compete with that? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I never saw her audition, so I don't know how well she does at Even the job. Even this new but, spelt? Uh, well, Mayer? yeah, I am 40 pounds lighter now than I or Have you really lost 40 pounds? 38. Unbelievable. In how long? Seven months. Well, it, I've been 38 for about 
five and a half months. Do podcast listeners know about that? Uh, the, we've talked about some of that stuff. All right, yeah, here's I know a, it makes you very... Uh, there's un- no way I can compete with that when it comes to a visual medium. Like, I'm showing Dave a picture of Miss New Hampshire. Like, I, I even, like, just selfishly looked for the worst picture I could find of her just to make myself so This is the worst picture I could find of her, and she still is gorgeous. This is a... There's no way they're going to pick a 35-year-old fat bald guy with glasses... No longer fat. ...on the TV. Uh, you know, I went from uh, morbidly obese to overweight. The worst, That's not, of a comp, the, not much of a By the way, and the worst picture that you showed me, the picture that is supposedly, reportedly the worst picture of That her, I could find. I'm just Googling real quick. Yeah. Um, She's amazing. Is a better, that's a better looking photo than, than anybody else's probably best photo. So, yeah, no, yeah, it's absolutely, she's she's amazing. I, I want to come by and watch the Friday broadcast and not be uh, bitter or selfish about it. Um, and see, I hope she has talent. I really don't, I, if she's just gorgeous and talented. Did you and actually, see her? No, I did not. Audition? No. Oh. Uh, so when was this that you auditioned? Oh, God, this was, it was still cold out, so. so this was a while ago. Yeah. It was probably so you like were going to do March, that. maybe? You were going to do early mornings, take a break. Oh, after. and by the way, it was an, it's an unpaid job. Unless I get Is a sponsor. Really? Unless there's a, a sponsored promotion thing, then the sponsor will pay us for it. Like if it's a promotional read or whatever. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but I, that's fine. I, I just wanted to do more yeah. media stuff, get my name out there more. Doing more things, uh, and I'm okay with it. And again, it gets me to be doing something creative. The reason I started doing stand-up was because I was working on radio and not feeling creative. Yeah. I'm here not doing anything creative other than my stand-up. So yeah. And this. Yeah, this. And this. Yes, and this. But I wanted to do something more. Yeah. Just how you are, like, I'm sure you're doing, you know, you're, you're fine reporting the news at Neckin, but at the same time, you're now working at uh, public radio. You are, yeah. B-U-R, right? Mm-hmm. That is giving you that creative outlet of creating news and stuff like that because you're, your passion's not right. doing TV traffic reports, yeah. correct? And uh, totally. And I've said, um, like, I don't think they'd be surprised at iHeart. Uh, I mean, I, I like working there a lot, um, but I also feel like there are, you know, I think with a lot of jobs, you reach a point where you're like, okay, like, what else can I do either within this job or without it to kind of challenge myself more? Because for a couple of years, I found it to be really challenging and parts of it still are. But, uh, you know, day to day, I'm kind of like, okay, I know I go in and you're probably the same way. It's like, you know, what's expected of you for the day. You accomplish those tasks. You can go home in a way. It's really sweet. Like there's no paperwork. There are no like big day to day hurdles. I don't think about it when I'm not there. Yeah, You go home and you can let it go. But I think if you're someone like I am or like you are, where you're kind of driven by more creative desires, then, uh, there, there is a time where you're like, okay, like you look around for like, what else can I, what's the next challenge? Part of my problem is with it is and I don't know where where it would be different uh, because of where I'm producing I'm producing Western Mass in Southern New Hampshire and it's very boring I have a lot of free time at work yes. that where nothing's going on so I do other things I work on a on I've the seen Boston you working on shows. some, some oh, yeah, stuff over there I don't hide it at it's all it's got something going on oh, I'm, I do more work for bostoncomedyshows.com the website I run they should than I do my own you. job they should be paying oh, you oh it's my own thing that's my thing <laughs> oh that's right yeah okay. <laughs> like, I can't you pay should myself because be it, makes no, it makes no money I gotta figure out how to make it uh, make money. I know how. I just got to get there. But yeah. it costs money to get to have the it whole takes thing. Takes money formatted. to make money. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'm doing at work to keep my brain from turning into mush and reading Reddit yeah. all day about comic book news. You're a big Reddit guy. I've noticed. Uh, 
I do a lot with it. I'm not really that. A lot of people think I'm really deep into it. I just read it a lot. It's a nice place to organize a lot of news, but I'm not very on it that much. I'm not a contributor much. I do use yeah. it a lot. And the reason I use it a lot is because of BostonComedyShows.com started yeah. as a subreddit of re- reporting. When reporting, I look you up on um, Reddit, putting, it's all related to the Boston yeah, comedy Yeah, because I run world. Boston Comedy Show yeah. stuff. So uh, that's where all that is. 90% of it's because of the comedy, local comedy stuff. But the if I was producing Boston, that is incredibly busy. There's no way I would be able to get anything else done. Right. Um, the few times I fill in for Boston, I'm so busy the entire Swamped, time. Yeah. Between a events and two, trying to figure things out. Like it takes me longer to put anything in because I have to research and figure out what it is. Now, granted, yeah. if I was doing, if I was reporting Boston every day for you know four eight hours a day, you'd be more comfortable. I would. Yeah, I'd be able to put in entries faster, and probably be able to multitask doing other things. But when it gets busy in Boston, which it does every day, right. You can't do anything else but produce it. Well, that's one of the things I was telling uh, this this woman who's taking over in the mornings who came from Florida was like, you know, I'm like, even at like... Still not as busy as Atlanta traffic, but right, it's still yeah. pretty busy. Yeah, it's like... Even, Atlanta's e- a war zone. Even when you're done, at, like even when you're approaching the end of that morning shift, it's like 8.30 or 8.45. Like your anticipation is to be like, you know, things are winding down traffic-wise as we get close to 9 o'clock, like they might in other cities. And in Boston, generally, I'm like... You know, there might be a few occasions where it does really start to wind down. But in general, like by nine o'clock, it's still crazy busy. And, it, you know, it could stay that way for another hour or two hours. Like it doesn't just because like you're off your shift and starting to think of traffic as like being over. Like it's, doesn't prob- mean traffic it's probably not. Over, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you know, you kind of got to be be careful of that. And it is busier. I mean, um, she seems to have like a lot like good experience in Florida. But she was saying, too, she's like, you know, this is like a different a different world because it's just a lot busier. Yeah, well, dude, we had, when we were across the street, uh, we had for a couple, for she was there well over a year, and she was there before I was, and then she left before we merged, was a reporter from Atlanta. Her boyfriend was doing cancer treatment up here, so she was reporting on Atlanta traffic from our, from our building. No way, huh. Again, that goes back to the technology, that's the only way. When was that? Uh, it was when I moved here, so. Oh, wow. Three and a half years ago, and I don't know when, I can't, I, I'm terrible with time. Yeah. Um, she was here for a while. And I would come in at 530 in the morning and she's already overturned trucker and fi- uh, overturned tanker truck fire totally. and just an overturn, you know, yeah. a, 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 the, every day backups, chaos, yeah. panic and mayhem on the streets of Atlanta. It was hilarious to listen to. And for a while I was doing this gag, like on Fridays, I would get the other traffic reporters like from across the country, try to get them involved in doing this called uh total traffic poker. Mm hmm. Where you would, at the end of your shift, like throughout the day, throughout your shift and whatever, and by the end of it, you would try to put together your best poker hand from incidents. So a crash is equivalent to a jack mm-hmm. uh, or equivalent to a 10. Uh, multi-car is a jack. Uh, car fire is a king. Uh, you know, regular delays is... is face cards or uh, number cards, whatever it was. Yeah. And then, so you would have to have like, try to put together a Royal flush or whatever it was. And whoever has she the best. would win by the time I came in every morning, she would have <laughs> a Royal flush every this day. This is Atlanta. Huh? In Atlanta. Yeah. Like Boston was doing well. I was doing okay. DC. I got DC, the people from DC and Baltimore involved because I'm, I'm friends with them yeah. on Facebook and I tried to get other people and nobody really had it. Cause how long did this last? Oh, I did it like three times. Maybe. It was a ga- <laughs> It was just a joke. It's like, Hey guys, let's just talk about traffic. Yeah. 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 It was something to keep me interested in in work. You have a number of good, You have a number of uh, of kind of um, 
of pastimes that you you incorporate into your day-to-day work routine i've noticed to help keep you sane oh yeah because otherwise i would just be staring at a computer screen doing nothing for two four-hour shifts you know like it's one thing like with boston it's you he comes in and boom right off the bat it's busy crazy crazy busy all the way through and it dies out a little bit in the afternoon but it's still kind of like engaging yeah same thing when Jen comes in. It's a little bit engaging. It gets chaos and mayhem. And then in the evening, it starts quiets to down, yeah. quiets down a little bit. So there's a ramp up and a ramp down with both shifts for the most part. Like when Evil comes in at five in the morning, there's not much going on. Right. Maybe something from the night before. But there's a ramp up and a ramp down. For me, it's very little to no ramping whatsoever. Right. The, the worst days is winter when yeah. there's snow and that's it. Even when the snow, I can... You know, those are, are the, Friday afternoons are the busiest and snow days. And that's really about it. This Friday is, afternoon, I can't get much done after three o'clock. Yeah. Like from two to three thirty, maybe I can, I can do other things. And what is that? People going up to the beach? Going out West, going up North. Yeah. 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 So that's how my areas are different. Yeah. You know, you've read the reports. You should know by now. But <laughs> I, I think so. I'm familiar with your work. So, okay. So going back to starting at seven, then you came in with us. Um, where does music fit in all this? Like, when did you start playing music as a young kid? Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 10 or 11. And, um... That's I've, about the most... Usually, like, between 10 and 13 is when most people start picking yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, that's prime time. And Were your parents musicians? No. Um, well, I, I played saxophone, like, in fourth grade concert band, and then I really wanted to play guitar. I was super into the Beatles. And then, like, right after that, the Stones... My parents like music, especially my dad. So he kind of like got me into, I went through his old vinyls. And when I was younger, like right after the Beatles and Stones phase. So your parents were into music, just not playing it. Yeah, yeah. Themselves. There is someone pretty far back in my family tree who was like a trumpet player, like my aunt's uh, brother or her uncle, but not immediately. Like I don't come from a musical family, but I really wanted to do it. And I'd always been creative. So I liked writing songs starting when I was pretty young. And then um, when I was like, well, really in middle school, I started playing with a group of friends who are still some of my best friends, and we would just get together and jam. And two of those guys in particular are like still to this day, two of the best musicians that I know. And like not only like really talented, but also just really like thoughtful about music and about kind of music as art. So we played together in middle school. And then in high school, we kind of officially like formed a band and we're kind of like the... We, we had a time in high school where there were like 40 bands. It was just really crazy. Like, I don't know what it was about Andover, like at the turn of the century. <laughs> but uh, but there were just so many bands and like um, people just kind of pushing each other musically. So I was playing a lot of saxophone then. I ended up in this band with my really good friends, mostly at the time, like doing like jazz fusion. And I was trying to play like Miles Davis stuff and like John Coltrane stuff on saxophone. And then from there, we got into like more indie rock and folk music. So now most of what i do is like i started playing guitar more in that band and then um more recently doing solo doing solo stuff uh but i played with a, a it was basically this group of friends from growing up that all started different musical projects and i was in a band that was kind of in the center of that and it survived after high school through college 
and we still play a little bit now. The band's called Grimace, and guys from that band have gone on to like Grimace, like the purple thing from McDonald's. Yes. Okay, people either was that thought, supposed to be the name? Yes, or was, okay. exactly right. I knew that you would get because gr- isn't Grimace also like frowning? A frown, yeah. yeah. And I think people thought maybe we were like a black metal band. <gasps> we had so many discussions for years about like changing the band name, and finally I was like, I, I mean, my position was always, I just think there's like there's name recognition in a band that's been around for a while and like everybody at some point hates their band name yeah. and most of them are stupid anyway. So I was always, I was always in the stay camp as opposed to the leave campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I started playing when I was like 10 and then writing songs more and more through high school and college. And I guess up until like, I basically went to New York to, to do music and a number of my friends from growing up had moved there and we met other bands through touring a little bit and it be, it was always like the, the main thing I, in addition to the, I always loved doing the broadcasting stuff, but music was kind of like my creative outlet. And mostly through college, like I thought that I wanted to be a, a musician, um, but I didn't really have the, I felt like I didn't have the resources to like really pursue it. So when I graduated, we did like a US tour, but it was all very like do it yourself. Like I was like organizing the tour with my friends and we organized shows but we did it in like big volumes like we've played hundreds of shows basically on our own without a lot of like help from from anybody so uh so at some point i kind of made the decision that it was never even really a conscious decision but i just kind of made the decision that like i want to have basic things in my life that i didn't think being a touring musician was necessarily gonna gonna give me like just some stability so Boston's been cool because I know people from this area since that band was really busy. So I've had like the opportunity to do a lot of solo playing. And then these guys that I met, uh, the Whiskey Treaty, are all Western Mass musicians who I met through the same con- community of guys from growing up. Um, so these these are kind of like a different circle, like an outer circle of, of friends that I met through the inner circle and uh and that's been really busy too and the whiskey treat is cool because we've had like we have um a kind of a social media manager and uh a girl who's been helping to book shows for us and it's a manager basically yeah and it's five guys who are now a little bit older so that there at one point i would just take any gig that ever came along like when we were booking our first tour in college like early on in college it was like the summer and like I remember there was this guy in Ithaca, New York, who was like, uh, yeah, like, I really, like, haven't heard of you guys, um, yeah. but you can play on a Tuesday night uh, from 11 to 2 in the morning for 50 bucks. And we were just like, yes. Yes. Like, we got another show on the tour. So now I think we're much, I'm much more particular about, you know, doing things that are a good use of time as opposed to just, like, doing a lot of shows. Yeah. So I think I've probably scaled back the number of shows, but hopefully I when they're, I do them, better shows. Yeah, hopefully yeah. they're better shows. Not yeah. always, but well, yeah, they're, they're, the shows mean more. They're, they're hopefully, yeah, yeah. Technically, and I, in an interesting thing too is like I've I appreciate it more now because there there's a real difference between doing it, you know, because you just love making music and doing it because you're trying to make a living doing it. It just feels a lot different. Like there's no pressure now. Like if I do a solo show or play a solo show and I make like fifty bucks and the turnout isn't great. Like, it's just sort of like, all right, that was still really fun and yeah. I'm going to do it forever. And that was a fun, that was a fun show. As opposed to when I was like in my young 20s being like, nobody came to this show. I made 50 bucks and it's a referendum on my entire creative life. You know? <laughs> now I'm just kind of like, okay. like Yeah, I'm at that crossroads where it's like, sometimes I look at things like it's not my, 
like an open mic or mm-hmm. even a show itself. It's like it's not worth my time for a couple different reasons. One of them is like my emotional stability. Mm-hmm. Doing like comedy is so for comedians, we only feel as good as our last performance. Right. So if our last performance is bad, we're going to be bad for three, four, five, six, twelve 12 days into our next performance. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it goes better. So there's times where I'm like, like we, you came by um, Terry O'Reilly's and Newton, which is one of my favorite open mic on Wednesday nights. Um, and, but there's times I like, there's very recently, there's too many times where it's like, I'm not going to go on until 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock or right. 12 o'clock. If, at, if I'm lucky somewhere between 11 and midnight, by then everyone's hammered. If they're even still there, right. You know, the, the, the people have sparsed out. There's not that many people And you're on there. for what? Five, 10 minutes? Five, yeah. Yeah. Five minutes, seven minutes. And you got to work in four hours. And I'm th- I've been yeah. there since seven thirty when I got there, so I'm there for four or five hours. I gotta wake up at four a.m. the next day. It's not worth my time to, totally. to stick around and go to work. So I'm just gonna go home, or I'll go to another open mic. Now, granted, if I can get on at eight nine, if I can get on before ten o'clock, totally worth my time. The audience is engaged. I'm doing like I'm at the point in comedy where I don't need to just do every bit of stage time to get used to being on stage. I'm used to on stage. Right. I know what it is. I'm in the process of writing new stuff, so I need to test that stuff, and I need. I need to test, I need to riff, I need to write, and I need to know how this works in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So I need an audience to perform in front of. I don't need to go up to open mics and just go through the motions of saying jokes to get used to saying jokes again. Right. I need honest reactions on the stuff I'm writing, especially the stuff I'm writing so dark and deeply personal. I have to find that, that fine line of performing this to somebody and making them comfortable and not... Oh, this is weird. He's talking about suicide. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have to. I, I need an audience for right. that. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not benefiting myself by performing that stuff not in front of engaging an audience. audiences. Yeah. So, totally. I mean, there was a time where and there's shows like that where do I go to this show and I do tested material or do I should I should I try out some new stuff because now I have an engaged audience here. Right. So that's right, a weird right, right. place. And when you're only doing like this week coming up, I have. Th- three shows and I'm doing JP port. I'm hosting JP porch fest. Cool. For my own show. At Which is when next weekend, Saturday. Yeah. It's like a busy week of comedy this week. And then I have nothing else for the rest of the month. Yeah. Which is, it's typical for some people. I, it, there's no real, some people have three, four gigs a week. Some people have three, four gigs a month. For me, it always seems like they're all right. The same, like Wednesday I'm doing a, a show and then I'm doing two shows on Thursday. And it's like, I don't want to say no to something. Right. But I also don't want to have to run between shows to do them. Like, I don't... Totally. Uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, for me, it's like, I have to have something lined up. Otherwise, I feel like, maybe I'm done, like, doing live music. I don't know. Like I And usually, there's, like, a, a handful of things, like, in the hopper, which is good. But I like for there to always be one, so I feel like, you know, there's something to work towards, you know? I also think you have to, like, what you're describing is what I deal with a lot, too, which is, like... You start balancing like a number of different things, like how how good of an opportunity is this? How much do I want to do this show versus like how much is it paying? How much do I not want to do it? Yeah, you know, pay how, doesn't even factor into any of my comedy decisions. <laughs> yeah, because like if somebody wants to pay me, great, but I'm not at the point where I can demand money yeah, or yeah. even think about money. Yeah, I'm just more concerned with just doing comedy. Right. Yeah, totally. So yeah, but it's a different place where music. I mean, it's easier for places to pay to pay musicians than it is for them to pay comedians. I think so. Which well, and like sucks. there's just more uh, literal like gear that you have to bring, you know. So yeah. it's like, all right, like especially for something like if you're playing someone's event, it's like, okay, well, like if we're providing the PA, if we're doing X, Y, and Z, like that's all 
those are all expenses, you know? So yeah. that at least has to, at the very least has to be covered. But totally, I used to like, when we were first starting playing, we would just like take literally anything and be like, oh, we'll sell CDs or something, you know? And then- Oh, in comedy, yeah. There's no selling merch. Right. Like, unless you're the headliner and of course you're doing an hour's worth of material if you're right. selling merch. Smaller guys who are not headliners have merch too, but it's also inconceivable to sell merch as a comedian. It's like really uncomfortable right. as a comedian for some reason. There's something too, I mean, like you were saying, sometimes you have to balance your own personal sanity because of the content. And sometimes I feel that way too. Like, even if a show goes well, like you're kind of like plumbing the depths of, uh, should I close this? Yeah. If you, uh, well, here, I'll get it. Because you, that door handle's weird. You got to kind of lift it to latch oh. it. Oh, I see. And since I've been opening that window, it's such a here. It's been warmer in here, so I've been opening that window. Can we open this away. window? It's like... It's open. No, I mean the shade. Oh. We're like in a murderous dungeon here. Ah, oh, keeping it dark. So it's, I it's guess cold. you're right. Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought you the meant... The more light, the more warm it gets Dark in as in the subject matter. No, I keep it dark for temperature. I see. Because I can't put an air conditioner in here because the, the background of the podcast would just be... Mm, yeah. And I'd have to buy another air this conditioner. This is fine. This works. So, but you were saying about sanity... Yeah, like sometimes um, I'll play a show that, you know, people are saying it was good and I'm like, oh, like, that's nice to hear. I feel like I never want to do this again. <laughs> like, you're just like pluming the depths of your, it's a lot to like go out there and I mean, the same for comedy, I'd imagine, to go out there and like kind of emote and talk about like some of your darker feelings like in front of people. That has been like, I found that as my own like personal life has kind of calmed down that it's sometimes like harder for me to go go to the places that I would in the songs that were like making the shows really good, you know? Because like it's just harder for me to like go into that emotional place because I'm like not as bummed as I was at the time that they were written a lot, you know? It's like yeah, well, I guess that with music you're writing from an emotional place. Comedy, we might be writing from an emotional places rather than that, but at the end of the day, all we want is you to like us. Yeah. Like if you're you're not gonna if you're not laughing then we assume you don't like us and then that's a completely different thing. Music, I can still hate I could still hate everything you're doing, I'm not paying attention to your song, but you still get the gratification of every time a song ends. Yeah, but doesn't the clap imply that you liked it? No, we're just so trained to <laughs> clap after music. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, you've done cover gigs. How many times were you at a place? Everyone's talking, not paying attention, not paying any attention to what you are. But as soon as that last chord rings out. Like, all they right. start and they go back to conversation. They don't know anything that you're so- dude. Did I just break your heart about music? A little. A Do little I bit? look heartbroken? Uh, I, I, well, well, I feel like I just explained so that. Oh, I, I feel like I just told you you're no like, one's paying attention to your music. Dave has been insincere at yes. best. No, um, not all of it, but yeah. You know, well, no, I mean, but that's the difference. I always say that's the difference between music and comedy is that comedy the audience has to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Music they don't have to. Right. Music is yeah. just background, whether it's live, jukebox, covers, original, doesn't matter. It's just there in the background. People talk over it all the time, and they just know to applaud when people the music talk stops. over comedians, though. Yeah, they talk over comedians. That means, but they're but, uh, but that's bad. That's bad because they're not listening. They can't laugh if they're not listening. Well, I also I can find... applaud if I'm not listening to the music. Yeah, all I got to do is listen for silence, and then fill the silence with clap. I find that sometimes the venue matters too. Like I've noticed um, more people I know have been putting on house concerts. Like you've done some of these comedy, you know, events at someone's house. And I find that those are like, yeah, they're more um, conducive to people people paying attention because they. Comedy cookout, JP Porch Fest, July. Shameless shameless plug. (laughs) 
Because they, uh, they're maybe there like because a friend has told them about it, so they feel like they should be respectful, or yeah. just the setting of it is different from a bar where it's like you might be playing in front of like like you're saying like you might be playing in front of a hundred people and only thirty of them really know who you are, or care about like what you're doing. So the more like intimate shows have been much more fun for me recently, even if there's like less people there. But also, that's kind of a cultural thing right now, like doing house parties and house shows and stuff like comedy as well. There's plenty of house house comedy shows that become more important venues than clubs right now in right. certain cities. It's kind of a joke, ironic joke that it's like, oh, this house show is more important than a comedy club. But it kind of is. Yeah. Like you, it, it's almost actually that way. Yeah. Uh, the irony is starting to become truthful. But that's kind of, I think, just the level that we're, the world we're living in currently. The audience is what rather be at a house show than anything else for no other reason than it's, culturally relevant right now it's the hip thing it's kind of like a curated event i mean people curation seems to be like this big buzzword in terms of like how you get there's so much out there in terms of like music and art and like how do you kind of sift through it and find things that are meaningful to you well like if your friend throws house concerts and you like their taste in music or you respect your friend's you know opinion uh, on music yeah yeah then you you'll go and check it out also, uh, do you find it? It's also the music you play because you're playing a little more folky. Does that lend itself to the house parties a little more? Because I grew up with musicians in the punk and metal scenes. Yeah. If we did a house show, oh, they're getting police are getting called. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be loud. There's and still... we're also punks, gonna destroy things. Whether we don't, whether we're respecting did you our play friends' anything, house or not. By the way? I played drums, but never really in any bands. I yeah. auditioned for a few bands. I played with a band for a few months. We did one show, and they replaced me with their old drummer. I yeah. was replacing him because they quit. And they're like, look, we have a bunch of gigs booked, and he's better than you, so we need him back. They're like, want to sell t-shirts? apologized. Yeah. So, um, so I did yeah. managing bands. I booked shows and stuff like that, um, and I played the drums but poorly yeah. and never with any band. So am I a musician? Eh, kind of. <laughs> but I was in so, that so. world. I was yeah. out every night with bands, yeah. seeing bands, hanging out with bands, going to practices with them and whatnot. So yeah, it's I my mean, world too. I definitely feel like the kind of, even though I think my music is a little more like it's rooted in folk music, but I'm playing electric guitar. I kind of mess around with the pedals a lot. There's elements of improvisation to it, but definitely I think it's conducive to sort of a house concert thing where everyone kind of feels like they're intimately a part of, of the sound and of the night. But um, I also feel like there has been a change where, just a change in the way I approach it where like it it's not necessarily important to me anymore to like be playing to the most number of people possible like I'd rather that the music just kind of gets out to people who can appreciate it or people who want to find it and so when I worked on the last solo record which came out like two years a little over two years ago um I put like a lot of money into it I paid for a guy in LA to do like some radio promotion for it uh, I toured on it like I toured I did an East Coast tour and a West Coast tour so I was like putting a lot of resources into it and I it didn't like it definitely didn't explode or anything like it didn't blow up but I had some solace in the fact that basically through social media and through making sure like all these different groups of musicians that I met in different places um, heard the record and that I played different places that I had developed even just a small following. I was like, the best thing I can say about this is like everyone who wanted to hear this album or knew that I was making an album probably heard it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't reach, you know, critical mass that I probably still have some uh, like pipe dream of happening, but 
at the very least, like the tools that I had available to me made it such that I was able to like reach out to the people who wanted to hear it. So even if that's a small, smaller community than like, you know, other people, I'm becoming like more okay with that. Yeah. So. so the solo tour, the solo album, is it you and Meg? No, it's just me. It's um, okay. and it was under my name, Billy Bragg style. Yeah, I made a uh, I made a solo EP when I was living in New York, and then um, when I moved back to Boston, that was kind of I was like, I'll start to get back into media, and I'm going to make a solo record, which had a lot of other musicians on it. We mostly recorded it in New York, and then um, and then the tour was uh, it was right around the time that I met Megan, so we um, we started playing together like a little while after that, and. Um, a few of the shows were with a full band, like the New York CD release, the Boston CD release. And then most of the other stuff was like smaller, like house concerts or smaller venues where I was playing solo. And um, I would do it again under the right circumstances, like make another solo album. Sometimes my friends will want to know like if I'm because I'm writing new songs a lot. Uh, and at this point, I've been writing like quite a few. And uh, I don't have any like plans to do it just because without a band and without other people like putting skin in the game, yeah. Uh, it was just financially like more expensive than anything else that I'd done musically. And I think a lot of musicians get to this point, which is kind of dangerous, where it's like you, you you believe so much in your art that you just think like, if I have like I need I learned everything I need to learn. If I have like one more chance in the studio, I'm going to pour my money into this and like make a record that I know is going to be so undeniably good that like people are, are going to have to reckon with it. And that's just like not always the case. It's just like really rare to create something that's going to be so creatively fulfilling to you and also reach such a broad audience. So I haven't like given up on that, but I'm just like, I just want to be more practical about it. Like I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars of my own yeah. money in order to, to do that. And the whiskey treaty thing has been really fun. Cause that kind of, that's has, the, is that the main band or would you consider that the side band right now? Cause that's the band that you're just playing guitar in, right? Well, we do some of my songs too. It's basically oh, okay. five songwriters and we each do three or four songs a night. Kind of like a, a traveling Wilkesbury, totally, almost yeah. basically. It's a traveling Wilburys of basically unknown musicians. <laughs> but some of them are like really. I mean, I love all those guys, and they become like really good friends. So we've been busy enough. And it's a really like good time, you know, like past the mic sort of vibe. So we've played some music festivals, and then we've played like a lot of people will want us to go play like if they do a summer concert series. So it's just like a good time type of thing and so i think if we wanted we'd pretty much be busy every weekend we haven't chosen to be quite that busy but uh so it's become basically the main thing and okay. i think maybe if i didn't have that i'd be more i'd be feeling the urge more to like do the solo stuff and like put it out there you're getting your more. fulfillment because you're with a group that's yeah. performing and and writing. Yeah. okay and i missed that a lot when i was doing the solo thing because i was kind of like well the plus yeah the pluses of doing it solo were like i would find a friend and we'd just like take a road trip but uh promoting myself was not something that i was always that comfortable with and then i definitely after focusing mostly on the solo thing for maybe a year and a half or two years i was definitely feeling the pull to like play with people again like no matter how good a solo show went it wasn't really the same amount of like fulfillment as playing with other people and like having a full band sort of thing so do you still play sax by the way um that's a no <laughs> yeah that's like the one thing that i've like pretty much quit uh when i when i first started playing with those guys with grimace when i was like really young it was i was playing all sax and i was only playing like maybe 60 percent of the of the songs and then um i just you know like any teenager is just like 
I don't want to like saxophones. I want I want to rock. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, you might be working sax. I know I've seen you. I've you've never worked sax into any of your songs now, but no. there might be maybe on the studio version. There's a there's a sax, a straight saxophone, or maybe it's, I know guys who just randomly it's like, they get called up. It's like, hey, can you come over and do sax on like two or three songs at this yeah. show? Yeah, I still have it. I still have a, one or two of my saxophones, and uh, you I just don't play them. Or I broke them. one out like a couple a couple months ago, and just kind of like went through some of the stuff we used to play in concert band. But I wasn't like dedicated enough to like the craft of learning saxophone to like get really good. So like, you're, you're you're post third wave sky era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's like really nowhere to go from there, and I. Um, like I couldn't sit in with somebody now and just like play sax. Like yeah. I probably never could. I was like, um, I would. I feel like it added to the band for the time that I was in it, and then, uh, and then, now it's just been so long that it it would not go over well. Yeah. I, I, I outsourced horn playing on the album to a couple of guys. Who, did, uh, yeah. There's a guy who has pl- he just went on tour. My friend Cole, who's in an awesome band called Cuddle Magic in New York, it's a good name. Um, he's an awesome like trumpet player, multi instrumentalist, and he just got off tour with Cindy Lauper and Boy George. Oh wow! So he played on on Be Brave oh, on the wow. solo album. Let me ask you this, um, or not actually. Let me tell you about this. I just did a uh, I, I I I did a mixed open mic uh, a couple nights ago where it's like music, poetry, and comedy. It's ran by musicians, and they're just like, "Oh, you do comedy? Yeah, that's fine. Come on in." Yeah. Um, so I did break up this usually, monotony of acoustic most, yeah, guitar. Most of the time, I tell people, I will tell comedians, don't go to those for the most part. Don't go to a music open. I expect to do comedy. If the host is open to other forms and they do other forms regularly, then yeah. If it's a good environment, check it out. But usually, stick away from from those because it's, it's not. It's not. I don't think it's healthy for you to, for comedians to mostly be there. So I did it anyway. It was the first time I, I was going to check it out. I knew another comedian going. We were going to be the last two acts. We were showing up late. And the guy threw us on. And there's a band on before we went on called The New Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a – they're a local kind of like jazzy, swingy – it's yeah. basically like postmodern jukebox mm-hmm. essentially where it's like – it's kind of like jazz swing era style, like that modern thing that's kind of coming around. Yeah. Uh, so my first jokes when I went out there is like, that, see, this is the difference between my age group and your age group. I'm 35. With you grew up playing saxophone at 35, everyone asks you, is like, so uh, when you were in high school playing sax, how many ska bands were you in? <laughs> yeah. And now when you turn 35, everyone's going to ask you when they find out you play sax, like, so how many postmodern jukebox bands were you in? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there's like, that difference. It's like my age group, if you played a horn section, you probably end up either got were in or were at least begged to join a ska band. You're like, the musical landscape is filled with real big fish cover bands that yes. I may have been in. <laughs> and now it's all going to be yeah. you know, postmodern jukebox style bands. I have no other, or I guess, I have no other example of that style of music because yeah. it's not... Um, it's not electro swing, which is something I'm starting to slowly discover. Which is I don't know about that. Yeah, electro swing is very underground. Like it's basically, you know, big band swing era stuff, but yeah. all done with electronics, mm. uh, amazing singers and stuff like that. So it's basically that weird jazz era. It's kind of a jazz swing stuff that people are doing. Postmodern Jukebox is the only band that anyone can. Where are they from? I don't know. I don't know who they are. They've been they've been going viral a lot with their covers. So they'll take like a modern. Remember like Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine? Yeah, they same thing. Only they're not doing it ironically funny. So they'll take a a, a, or same thing that Carmen was doing, where they'll Mm. take a a a pop song 
and they'll do it in their style. So Postmodern Jukebox is the one who's been going viral because of it. So you have these bands that are doing like a jazz, lounge jazz style stuff. Thing, yeah. But doing cover songs and they'll write some of their own stuff. New edition. So Maybe I'll get them on the podcast Did you now, perform but. on this? I did. I, that was my first, that was my opening And jokes. how did that go? Then, uh, the jokes went great. I was, I opened with that. I have this joke about uh, hearing a Stevie Wonder song that I do anytime I'm talking about music. Um, and then I did some new stuff, which, you know, middling, trying to figure out. This was a good audience because they were engaged and they were laughing. So this was a great audience for me to judge what material was doing well. And then closed with a, jo- a solid joke. Like opened up with a riff, did a solid joke, new stuff, and then closed with something solid and got off. See, I feel like sometimes at the music open mics, depending on which one it is, sometimes that audience is like ready for that uh, shift in momentum yeah. that well alan richardson gives. who's another comedian he went up first and alan killed it alan absolutely knocked it out of the park ahead of me like they were his first minute was a little bit rough because they were not engaged in paying attention like he won them over and he did a great job of it um so i would not have done as well had alan not gone out there and killed it before me yeah so he went out there got him to pay attention for the worked hard for the first minute you know, 60, 90 seconds to get their attention by riffing and doing great jokes, did his stuff, all of it were home runs. And then I went up and I would not have done as well. Had I gone up in front of him, I probably would have had a harder fight to get their attention than he did because his jokes were a lot, lot solid. He's a very good, he's a good comedian. I'm not going to take anything away from him. Not to say that I'm not a good comedian that I can't win over a crowd, but I think he went out there and did a better job getting their attention than I would have. So I, I, and now this guy. Yeah. So, that's the, the 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 world we're living in. Where difference between like my age group and, and saxophone and your age group. Well, you're closer to my. You know what? Thirty. How old are you? Thirty five. Thirty five. You're what? Thirty one. Thirty. So yeah, you're 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 right in that post. Right on the cusp. Yeah, you're in that middle of different gender generations. Remember, um, the Urge that band? The Urge. Uh, no. They were, uh, they made an album with Nick Hexum from 311. It's like <laughs> hip-hop, ska sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, three. That's my era. Yeah. So, but the, uh, what's the difference between the Boston and the New York music scenes, local music scenes? Because you were in, you're in that scene, you're in this scene now. What's the difference between it, them? Night and day, I think. Is it? Yeah. I, I'd imagine it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like. Is there in, more pressure in New York before you even get into it, do you think? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So Boston, what's the big difference between the two? To me, it seems, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, there are bands like Passion Pit that come out of Boston that came out of sort of the college music world. And that's kind of its own thing in Boston, but that turns over every few years and bands mostly move to New York if they're going to, you know, keep going. And then after that, it seems like there's this really great kind of community of uh, lifetime musicians in Boston who maybe aren't necessarily like on the cutting edge of what's cool or what's in but uh, have been playing here for so long and kind of have this, uh, it's more, it feels like more of a small community in Boston. And I think I'm kind of like, I, I definitely don't feel like I'm like really on the inside of that um, because I kind of come and go. Like when I have free time, I'll stop in at some of the places where the locals play. Um, and I've become friends with some of those guys. Uh, so I think there's just like more like in, in Boston, the scene seems to be more geared towards like, there, there's kind of an appreciation for music here that you without the sort of frills and attachments of New York. Like in New York, a lot of what I felt the part of was like big time, like strivers, like people who just like really wanted to make it in music. And to the point where they were calculated about it, like looking at 
you know, exactly what kind of, what combination of music and aesthetics and the way they were positioning themselves would be popular, you know, like, uh, at one point, like, if I sound like Fleet Foxes with, like, this electro, like, electronic edge, then, uh, that seems to be, like, a melding of, like, two things that are just, like, right on the cusp of hitting right now, and in Boston, it's a little more, I feel like, I mean, in some ways, it's more genuine, and then in other ways, I feel like when I was living in New York, the music scene was uh, more experimental than what it is here. Like there was just a lot of different things going on all the time that I was being exposed to. So they both have good, good and bad aspects of it. But Boston is a little bit more like low key and um, everything's just sort of amped up in New York, you know, and in some ways I think that's a good thing, but I definitely felt like there were a lot of people in New York that were like really trying to make it at, at all at all costs you know and in boston it's a little bit more relaxed yeah there's a guys... more for the passion of music whereas new york is more the business end of it doing yeah. it for a business means i think so yeah and i think a lot of the like really good bands a lot of good bands from everywhere go to new york to like make it so that's part of why that sort of structure exists I think ultimately it it was good for bands. Like I felt like I was kind of pushing myself because there were so many good musicians in New York and um, and Boston will will never be like that. Thankfully, because Boston's just more like provincial and smaller and easier to maneuver. So like anything, I think related to the arts, like I find Boston to be more manageable, but also to like have an art scene that's pretty. I think it could be a lot better, but I think it's it's in some ways just about as it has a lot of the things that I loved about New York without all of the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny too, is like now when I go to New York to play, I generally like to some extent, there's so much going on in New York that it's just really hard to differentiate yourself. So like when I play there now, either solo or with the whiskey treaty or like with, uh, some amalgamation of friends of mine, we generally like draw better than when I like lived there and was playing there all the time because people are like, Oh, like, friends of mine especially and like some you know supporters of my music will be like oh like i'll see dave because he's probably not coming back for three months or six months as opposed to like yeah like we'll catch him next week he plays yeah. plays down the street every every week yeah is that too many gigs in one time it's oh i'll go to the next one yeah, yeah. and it's like you're saying like to some extent that was helpful for me because i was playing all the time you know more so than i am now and it helped me to get really comfortable playing on stage but uh, as far as like cultivating an audience, especially in New York, it's like you can really only, you know, friends of mine will do like, you know, they'll have a big show. And then if they have something else that they want to do, uh, they maybe they can't do it or they, they aren't going to promote it as much just because like if you're trying to attract like, you know, a booking agent or people from a record label, it's like you want everyone to come out to that one big show that you want to promote. So in Boston, it seems like there's more people who are just kind of in it for for their love of, of music. Let me ask you this. So, you know, let's get into this before I ask this question. Because um, you also write. You do a lot of freelance yes. writing for websites. Um, how did you get start doing that? Because you went for broadcast journalism. You wrote the news. You're reporting news. You're doing all that. When did you start writing? Because you didn't start writing initially sports news, right? You were writing regular yeah. news. Right, yeah. Because you started doing writing news stories for the website for the broadcast mm-hmm. um, site. I know that. Yeah. You, so, you had brought that up. Yeah, so that was how did you pre- How did you transition that into other freelance writing gigs? Well, I met a lot of good people through that initial job at broadcasting and cable. And they um, 
they kind of like people spread out from there. So they got jobs at other publications. And if they needed a freelancer, they would kind of ask me about uh, if I was available to to write for them. And then I'd always written um, starting when I was like pretty young, like even when I was in elementary school, we had like a gym hockey league and I would like write recaps of that. So I had always known that writing was an interest of mine. I wrote like some poetry in college and I wrote a lot of like, you know, kind of personal essay memoir type things in classes. And I always liked it, like the work of, of writing and like putting putting pieces together. So um, I met people through that, that first job at broadcasting and cable. And then I really wanted to do more kind of long form sports journalism. So um, I guess through a few different people, there's a guy I grew up with named Nate Scott, who um, he's my age. We grew up in Andover together and he now writes for uh, For the Win, it's that USA Today sports website, okay. which kind of stands alone as its own website. And um, so he'd been writing for them a lot and I kind of stayed in touch with him and told him that I'd been writing, most of the freelance stuff I was doing was either about the TV industry, the media industry, or you know programming stuff for TV, um, or occasionally I do something about sort of sports media. And so I kind of was like, I have some experience in sports, but it's like writing about sports on TV and sports media. Um, and what I wanted to do was kind of write more like long form sports feature stories. So Nate put me in touch with a few people and then just kind of reaching out to people like Twitter is so helpful. Like there's a guy who had written a few things for Deadspin who I really liked named Alan Siegel, who I think lives in DC, but is from here. And I literally just like reached out to him. He wrote like a hilarious, um, uh, like oral history of the 80s and 90s LA Clippers like the height of Donald Sterling era incompetence <laughs> and racism and it was so funny and uh so I sent him an email and was like I love this story like I'm a journalist you know looking to do more sports oriented stuff and so he gave me like a bunch of contacts some people are really like proprietary over like their contact lists but he was like yeah like here's here's a guy who edits advice and like if you want to talk to him like you could tell him you know me if that'll be helpful and I think the other thing... Advice that, Magazine? Uh, I guess for the website, for Vice Sports. Yeah. Oh, Vice. I yeah, thought yeah. you said he, he edits advice. for Advice. Advice like, Magazine. Advice of, it's just a magazine, advice that, a magazine that gives people advice about anything they might want. I guess um, People Magazine is about people, but yeah, yeah. I guess it's just a catchy advice name, magazine. really. Uh, no, Vice. So then... Okay. Um, so... And then the other thing that like, I Vice think, is the biggest... Like, right now in our generation, Vice is the big news people right now like i guess so yeah that's the most respectable news outlet for the young young people right now right would yeah. you say that well i don't know if respectable well i think it's the most uh like kind of on the edge speaking a certain type of person's language um and doing really good investigative journalism yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i think they're one of the few ones that's making money and that is investing in, in good journalism. The sports site that I've been writing for, I love. I think they do really good work. I think they're, it, it feels to me like they're still trying to figure out like exactly how to market it. And like, I'm not quite sure what the readership is. I, I definitely get the sense it's not as big as people that are, you know, watch, are reading the, the main site. Um, so, but it's cool that they're devoting resources to, to a whole section, you know, about, sports and kind of doing sports in vice's language but um did you send a portfolio to get the the well so that's what i was gonna say is like because i don't even know how you go from one job to the other so the helpful thing that i found was like i know how to get a job in radio and that's all i know how to do well so so i did have (laughs) my friends i I did have a portfolio (laughs) of stuff um of stories and like i said like you kind of i kind of think strategically about like 
I want to be writing about sports. I haven't done a lot of like um, long form or like sports feature stories, but I have written about like sports media. So I kind of positioned it as like, I have a lot of experience writing about the media. Here's some of the magazines I've written for. And here, and then like in my clips, I'd send some sports related stuff, like sports media stuff and be like, I'm confident that I can kind of take this skill set and translate it into writing for sports. So, and then the other thing that I think is really helpful, and this is basically the only thing that I think really matters is like having good story ideas. So I kind of know how to, or I, I knew how to pitch stories to them and like tell them what would be interesting about this story that I want to write. And then I found that like having good story ideas, like right off the bat, like, hey, this is who I am. This is the experience I have. And here are like five story ideas that I have. Are any of these interesting to you? And then like, as soon as they say yes, you're kind of like off and running and trying to show them that you can that you can do it. So I think that's the biggest thing is like having good stories to pitch. So like I would just kind of like sometimes have a running tally of things where I'm like, oh, that would be cool to like look into or what was the story behind that? And like maybe I could talk to these people and find out more about it. But so none of the essays and stuff you're writing is time sensitive. Like you're not writing about yeah. yesterday's game. No, not usually. Because yeah. that's what I, I, I wonder like – Let's use Jezebel as an example. Like they're doing daily, you know, they're writing daily news articles. That's what I would like if I was at, if I was a confident writer, I don't feel like I'm a confident blogist. Uh, I have a blog. I've written blogs, yeah. written daily things for, for the radio You're station. You're a pretty funny writer. Uh, I am. I mean, I don't know if you read anything that I've put out, but I would like, I mean, all mine's because uh, I'm a comedian. So everything's kind of based comedy wise supposed to be at some yeah. point. I've written one or two of my own blog posts that are not comedy related. Yeah. Just like, here's a thing. Sorry, it's not funny, guys. But um, I try to sneak some jokes into it, whatever. But I don't know where to start. I don't know how to, somebody gets it. Like, if you went to school for writing and a journalist and then you get a job as a journalist, okay, that makes sense. But somebody who wasn't, like us, we're, we, mm-hmm. learned, we didn't learn how to write at school. We learned how to write a script. We learned how to talk the script. So... Mm-hmm. How do I transition that? How do I prove to somebody that I could be a writer? Or how do I transition that? Because the writing styles are different. And you're doing long form stuff. How do I do daily stuff? If yeah. I want to do that, I'm never going to yeah, do yeah. that. I mean, I think part of it is like one of the things that, you know. I mean, there's so many different versions of writing out there. I know. It's like, how does somebody become one or the other? Yeah. Like, do you, could you transition your skill sets into writing daily news? Columns? Yeah. I mean, it's a different style of writing than like writing for radio or TV, but... Um, or even writing the long form, like the thing yeah, you just did about the college, the DC... Didn't you do something oh, yeah, about George Mason. George, George Mason. George Mason, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, it's different, but I mean, the, the basic tenets of writing stay the same. And then you're kind of like, yeah, you're, you're aware of the medium you're writing for. So it is kind of like using using different muscles it's definitely a, a different kind of thing like writing a long form piece versus writing hard news but i feel like at school even interview interview pieces are different like totally. one of the things i hate when i see somebody write up an interview is question answer question answer question answer yeah i don't want to do that in my podcast i don't want to read that right. on the on the thing i like like when i open up rolling stone i don't see question answer question answer i see a art a, a well-written article about a conversation right with quotes and explaining things although i think there is an art to doing the like q a like type interview too um but not they all seem so boring not as like a no offense to anyone who does them but to me they sound yeah yeah i mean there's definitely like different 
ways to approach it. I feel like school gave me a decent understanding of what some of those different styles were, but it, yeah, like as a broadcast major, it's not like I was able to go really in depth into magazine writing. So a lot of it's like trial and error really. And then I think the most important thing is like having an interesting story idea and having enough confidence in yourself to be able to like write a decent first draft. And then if a publication really likes it, they're going to like work with you on it. Um, two various or lesser degrees you know sometimes i feel like uh a really good editor will go in and really like make changes that make the story better other times i feel like there's there's more that could be done but generally like you're not alone in the writing process you know so if you have a good idea that they that they want to see fleshed out places will probably work with you on it so i think the most important thing is just having like good ideas and then the um the new stuff i mean it's definitely like scratching a different muscle, but it's the same. It's all writing, which I find even like in the radio stuff. I'm like, um, when you do like a, a news report or a traffic report, even if you have, if, even if you didn't physically write down the traffic report that you're about to say, like you're doing the basic storytelling in your head. You're like, what's the most important thing? So what's the lead story? Like, how do I go from that and transition into other things that I think are important? And you're basically putting together the story in your head uh, without actually writing it down. So I think a lot of those skills are translatable, although you have to kind of like figure out what's what's different about about each one of them, you know? Hmm. No, yeah, I never looked at news as being story. Like, I have thought about news as storytelling, but it's more like anchoring and reporting a story is more never thought about in the context of what we're doing is storytelling yeah. because I'm transitioning a lot of things like my comedy you've seen me do stand yeah. up it's very narrative based yeah I also do some storytelling in fact I'm gonna have to on Saturday I'm gonna try and sneak away from my porch vest show to go do a quick story at a storytelling porch and then rush back to oh, the, cool. do that I might drop out of that one because when is this again tell me Saturday, Saturday July yeah. 9th uh, maybe I'll Jamaica go. Plain yeah um, but yeah it's all right, well, let's talk about that. Have you ever done any storytelling? Like, like that's a big... The storytelling and story slam stuff, super popular. I know, yeah. Like, the moth has made that all very popular. Yeah, I'd like to. I haven't. You haven't? I would really like well, to. most of the stories have to be personal. Are you comfortable talking about a personal story? Because yeah. so far, I mean, I guess your music comes from personal experience, but the news stories, the, the sports stories you do, and the traffic stories, none of that's personal. Yeah, I sometimes have difficulty with, like, how personal I want to get about things, yeah. especially because, like... I mean, they don't have to be like storytelling. Doesn't have to be super the revealing, but it has I to be something you can't you can't go to a storytelling of Mike and tell the story of the George Mason basketball team. Right? Yeah. No. I mean, I like sharing those sorts of things as long as I've kind of thought out like what story I want to talk about and like how I want to do it. But yeah, that would be cool. I'd like to. And um, I'm envious of writers and I guess even um, like commentators who are like who have no problem sharing everything from their personal life. I don't really have a problem sharing much either, but I, there's things I think about like before I tell them. And, uh, so yeah, I would definitely like to. It's just oh, I never of, think about anything before my car starts. I've seen some of, my your, problem. some of your That's comedy. My problem. I'm like, <laughs> I, I respect you for like going there pretty fearlessly because some of your comedy is about like things that are not often talked about in, in, in private or public. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Especially right now. Uh, well, comedians, we all talk about suicide together, but you very rarely do talk about it in public to other people. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> like what me I mean, and my like... friend, uh, my comedian friend Ben Quick, do nothing but when we hang out and just 
come up with new suicide jokes because that makes the two of us laugh. And that's and I think that's what keeps us from doing it. That's the sort of thing. <laughs> it's not that's cries like, for help. It's how we deal. Are you okay, Denny? Yeah, fine. I didn't throw myself down these stairs. I fell because I was drunk. What is that? <laughs> oh, it's a bruise from oh, falling. Okay. I was at a barbecue a... and slipped down the... Uh, slipped. I didn't even fall. I missed a step, slipped, hit my back and my arm on steps. But no, I wasn't trying to throw myself down steps. Yeah, okay. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think he's all right. <laughs> so you've never done any storytelling, storytelling club stuff like uh, Boston Stories Club or no. Mass Mouth or anything, but it's something you would yeah, I'd like get to. into. I signed up for that thing like last year, I guess, and then... Uh had to work the morning shift or something and didn't do it. But yeah, it's something I'd like to do for sure. And I know it's, you know, it's really popular. I haven't really gotten into the moth, but, uh, but I, yeah, I haven't I'm, gone, I haven't gone to moth yet. Cause that like, that's too legit storytelling for me. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like what I still you, need that. Cause there's a difference between storytelling and doing jokes. Yeah. And I've di- I did a, a, a couple months ago, I did a erotic sex story slam at the armory in mm-hmm. Somerville. It was basically tell a story about us, about sex, uh, sex, and then they judge you. They have three judges. They judge them. One of the judges, and the reason I found out about it and decided to go was one of the judges was a comedian that I know. What was your um, story about? Uh, the story was about uh, this one time I hooked up with a friend and in the midst of sex, she asked me to choke her. So I did. And I choked her too hard. Uh, and that was the the uncomfortableness of, of the whole hookup. And it was a one night stand and how I, I'm uncomfortable with like kinky stuff like that. But as soon as she goes... Choke me. My immediate reaction was okay, like, <laughs> like that. I'm setting up this whole story. I was like, it's weird. It's creepy. I would never do that. If a girl told me to choke her on sex, I'd get up and leave. And then she asked me. I went yes. And you did. And unfortunately, it went from kink to being too real. Cause she's like, I can't breathe. I'm like, oh god, I'm sorry. I'm a monster. Oh my god. Yeah, she's fine. She's, she's okay. alive. I'm uncomfortable right now yeah. with that. Well, I put I, I pushed the boundaries of uncomfortableness. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it I the story is about how uncomfortable I was in right. that moment. And yeah. Yeah, sharing yeah. it empathic, uh, yeah. empathically and trying to make it funny. Of course, so the, the story is funny. Yeah. I lost the slam, which I didn't care about. The notes I got from the comedian that I knew him, he has never actually seen me do stand up. We just know each other from shows. Mm-hmm. And he, he's a, he used to own a comedy club here. So he was a, a well renowned comedian. And his comedy is very narrative based as well. So we did it afterwards. I was like, so notes on that. He goes, if you had done that story in a comedy club, it would have killed. Mm hmm. But it's not quite a story. Yeah, it's narrative. You're telling. You have a beginning, beginning, middle, and end. You have a theme, a, th- a theme through it, and so it is a story. But it's more Joe. It's mm-hmm. more stand up. What you did. Hmm. So I try to. I the stories I do are not quite stand up, and they're not quite storytelling. And the jokes I do are jokes, but not quite storytelling. But it's kind of a storytelling. So I ba- everything I do balances line. But what I do storytelling, I don't do on stand up. Yeah. Uh, I did that choking story once or twice for stand-up. I think I've seen it. Uh, You may have. I think I I may have seen it Now that I think about it, it might have been. Hong Kong, 15. Yeah. 2015. (laughs) That's right. You make it come back. I've got your whole... I don't know if I was doing that set. I was doing that set on stage. I did. I think the last time I did it on stage, it did not... Oh. (laughs) At Hong Kong, I was toying with doing the story, and she was... uh, the. Girl, the Andrea who runs at run the club. I was like, "What story do you want here? That one or this one?" And she's like, "Do that one." I'm like, ah, "I don't no. think this is the only story." <laughs> that was a different time, and I did something else. But I think that was December. But point being, um, so I do some storytelling. I want to push more st- my way into storytelling yeah, yeah. too. But I have to be very careful of what's a story, and what's stand up, yeah, a joke. Yeah. So, but yeah, if you do storytelling, you just have to find what's 
theme. Like usually you have to fit into a theme. Most of these things are yeah. themed. I have that's like, the hard part for me is like they'll they'll announce a theme and go, I don't know anything right. on that subject. Yeah. yeah. I generally like I could have I could tell a story about my time at camp in fifth grade. Yeah. I have stories about middle school hijinks, etc. So I could check some of the boxes. I I feel like half the have- story court stories are probably about like my time at camp. Have you ever thought about writing these stories up as essays or whatever? Which, by the way, we also need to go through what's the difference between like a journalism story and an essay? I don't know. <laughs> but have you ever thought about writing any of these stories up on your own? Like, yeah, doing yeah. your own blog or journal post website, whatever? Yeah, I get like. House that stuff there and then maybe sell it off later or whatever? That'd be cool. I mean, I've I've collected a lot of the poems that I wrote um, oh, God, years ago now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a lot of those saved. I would love to get like a dream would be to get those published at some point. And then I have some short stories and a few like essays like that. Um, but there's definitely a wealth of material that like I haven't written about yet. That could be, yeah, that I think would be cool for essays. Uh, so what's the difference between what, like what, since since you have experience in writing, what's the difference between like Jezebel's, what Jezebel does and like an essay? I'm not that familiar with Jezebel. I mean, I know what the site is, but like... Okay, or Gawker or any, like... Yeah. Any news blog. Yeah. What they write and an essay. Like, what's an essay? Like a personal essay? Like, I know I wrote essays in high school, but I didn't know... I just assumed that was yeah. what writing was. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think... I was never big... I, like, I took a creative writing class and we focused mostly on poetry. And I was like, no, I want to focus on stories. Yeah. And, now, and stuff like that. And she was like, eh, we'll get to it. I think, and it was a terrible class. And I got really upset because she focused mainly on poetry. I was like, I'm not here for poetry. You don't possess the poet's heart, Denny? I mean, I've written some poetry for class when I had to, but it's not what I want to do. Yeah. When I took a creative writing class, I figured I was going to be writing fiction or short stories or stuff like that. We were going to go through that kind of thing, and she did not. And I was very disappointed in that. Well, school. I feel like some of those websites do have – I mean, there's nothing really different. Like if you're writing kind of a thought piece, I mean, you could call that an essay depending on like – is essay what? just a blanket term for writing? I mean, well, I guess it's... I'm, a, remember, I'm kind of stupid, Dave. No, no. <laughs> should we? I'm wondering if we should look up a, a, a definition right. of it. Let's look up the definition of essay and see what that is then. Here. Uh, I was hoping you could give me an answer. I know. I was hoping I could too. By the way, I get texts every holiday from this guy I went to college with, and they're always like this. Like It says, America's breakaway inspired Hamilton. Both sides of the Brexit vote won't have to look far for their musical anthems. So long, farewell, or I will always love EU. Both could be tap numbers. Happy Independence Day 2K12. And I get those for everything. So I don't know if he's writing them. Like, the last one is... Does he happy- text it to you? Or yeah. Is that- yeah, he texts them. Like, so many of these. And who is this guy? Just a guy I went to college with. I actually think he writes for uh, the Wall Street Journal. And he just sends out, like, these... Mass texts to everyone about what he's writing? Yeah, like, That's ma- like cool. kind of limericks just, about the holidays. Uh, it's weird i don't know it sounds almost annoying but (laughs) i don't know if i like i don't know if they're personalized to me i know nothing about them a short piece of writing on a particular subject that's an essay yeah okay so basically any writing is an essay then so it's just a blanket term for writing well i mean there's like a hard you know like a hard news story and then um like a feature story and those are all like a little bit different from essays i think generally essays have sort of like a a personal uh, a personal bent to them, you know. Usually, they okay. have something to do with that individual person. So your George Mason story wouldn't be an essay. I don't think so. No, okay. that's kind of more of a 
uh, feature story. I mean, the feature that Vice does is called Throwback Thursday, and it's kind of like a branded thing that they do once a week. So that's kind of a feature for that segment, you know? Like the George Mason story was like looking back on... An, an essay would be more at, more of like, here are my thoughts on how college basketball has changed because of what George uh, okay. Mason accomplished. So it's almost an editorial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. And I think maybe editorials, depending on who you're writing them for, have like a slightly different like voice to them than what an essay would be. Okay. Like they're, they're... So an essay is a thought piece, an editorial is an yeah. opinion. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. This like, makes a lot of so sense. So that George Mason story, if a, an essay based on that would be like, here are the way that small um, athletic programs, Division One athletic programs, have changed based on the success of, of George Mason. Okay. So All right. it's like advancing that story somehow. By the way, so you have, I know you have a website for your band, right? For your music stuff. Um, yeah. I do mean, you I put any s- your, do you link any of the, like the Vice article? Do you link that article there? Um, do you try no, and put I mean, all your stuff in one? Like for me as a comedian, like I have a website, deadairdentist.com. If you didn't know that, it's probably, I, I don't know how you're listening to this and didn't know that there's deadairdentist.com. I, that's I check it every podcast, day. But not you. I was oh, mean I people in general. Gotcha. The, the listeners. But. So I have deadairdentist.com. It's my blog. It's my podcast. Yeah. Like I don't, the podcast is called, so what do you really do? But I don't have, so what do you really do? Podcast.com. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to own that one day. And it's just going to direct back to this. It's not separate sites. Right. So the website originally started as a, a place to house my radio air checks and resume. So when I'm you know, applying for radio jobs, they have a place to go look, right. look for it. And then it became my comedy blog and it became so it's my all on podcast. The same all place in one thing. That's how I think. Do you... Do you have that same concept? Because we talked about marketing, you gotta have to yeah. like, you know, you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you're 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 a musician who's writing, who's doing writing and journalism and stuff. Do you do you tell you, the people, people that, where oh, to find what I'm doing? Well, that and it's also like, do you tell people that like whenever I apply for a job, I have to also tell them that I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be for you, do? do you, yeah. <sighs> Well, I use comedian as a credit. So when I sent out a, a, a audition tip, I was like, comedian who does this and this and this. And now I add podcaster to that. Oh, like, I see. Like my comedy bio says comedian. But do you, you feel like podcast. someone hiring you should know that you're a comedian who touches on Well, I think for in general, topics. they should. Well, uh, that, but it's also, if I'm going to be if I'm applying for to be a jock on a radio station, yeah, you want to hire somebody who's a comedian. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, use it to your no advantage. I'm there. using it yeah. to my advantage, yeah. so I have everything in one place for that. Yes. So, like, I'm a, I'm a slash. You know, right. I'm a this and a slash yeah. this and a slash this. Do you do it the same way? Like, do you when you're doing a music thing after a song? It's like, oh, by the way, check out my article written that I wrote for Vice on George Mason. University. Occasionally, I mean, I, I think it might be helpful to have. Like, all... if a music fan of yours, do they know that you wrote that sports article? Not necessarily. Okay. No. So and you don't cross promote those. Sometimes those I do. I mean, it's all. I think of it as all being me, and I probably should do more of the cross promotion. But I also feel like. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about getting eyes to read your article at Vice because Vice is doing the promoting for you yeah. in general. And I I do use a lot of I'll use social media a lot for all these things. So yeah, yeah like I'll I'll mention uh and occasionally like on the air sometimes depending on the station they'll ask like just, you know, during crosstalk, "Oh, you got any shows coming up this weekend?" and sometimes they'll play one or two of my songs. There's a station on, uh, No, not Neckin. Oh. Uh there's a station on the South Shore that does music and sometimes oh, okay. they'll play it. "Hey, the, did you know the fill in traffic guy is like is playing tomorrow night at wherever. So See, that's the other thing. If I was reporting, I don't want 
if I'm reporting news, I don't right. want them to know anything about my comedy. Well, I, if I'm doing yeah. rock stuff, yeah. yes, I want them. Exactly. If I'm I, doing music, I want them to know that I'm a comedian performing at right. places. But if I'm just doing, I don't even use like in the music side of radio it was Dead or Dennis. The few times I filled in for traffic reports on Dennis Michael. Right. Yeah. That yeah. Sounds more respectable. Wait, when are you Dead or Dennis? Uh, when I do music and comedy, I'm Dead or Dennis. Yeah. When I'm doing music radio or comedy, it's Dead or Dennis. When I'm doing traffic reports, it's like. That's your uh, that that's your traffic up to the minute. I'm Dennis Michael. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> sell so white and generic. No, I struggle with it because some of it is like you know personal branding, and I like hate the idea that I even have to do that. But yeah. on the other hand, as somebody that is in these fields, like you do have to do some of it. So I struggle with like how much do I keep some of these things separate and have one like have music be just something that is pure to me, like is a part of my life that if people want to find out about that, they can do that and make the connection on their own that I'm like the, the traffic guy on NECN or whatever. But, um, but there are opportunities, I think when you have it all in one place that I, that I'm not always taking advantage of. But what I do use is like, I'll use social media, um, for all these things. So like if I have a show or I have an article, like all those sort of things, uh, I'll put it on Facebook, I'll put it on Twitter and um, so I feel like people that know that I'm involved in those different things know where to look for them. But like the music stuff is basically just on a Bandcamp page and then um, a Facebook page dedicated to the music stuff. And I don't always cross promote if I have like an article coming up or if I'm going to be like on some station where people can hear me or see me like I don't always do that. And I think. Like, I think people, I've noticed there's a lot of people like in TV news that are really good at like branding themselves as just like the the weather reporter or the traffic reporter or the news reporter. Like, it's really easy for them to just sort of be like, this is like who I am. And you know, like when you see my name, I have information about the news or I have information about sports or whatever. And uh, I think sometimes like, like my interests are just more varied than that. So it's hard to kind of, like if someone were to go to my Twitter page um, there's stuff about music. There's like, sometimes I'll put up traffic updates, you know, from NECN. So it's like, if they, if they know me and they know that I do all these different things, it wouldn't be weird for them to see a bunch of different things on the Twitter feed. But if for, they just heard your yeah. music, they saw you at the armory, exactly. went to your Twitter profile and it's like, why is this guy giving traffic yeah, who, reports on 95? Right. Like, why do I, so there's not a brand of like, oh, when I go to this guy's page, I know I'm going to find like about bands that he likes and shows that he has coming up or just traffic information and part of me like struggles with that like could i be uh you know getting like gaining visibility or whatever by uh by kind of branding myself as one of these things but that's just like not me you know yeah. so i i haven't really i try not to like stress out about it too much because i think like if you're doing good work people will probably just find you regardless of what you're doing but yes it is confusing i think because like even music, as much as it's just a labor of love, it is sort of like a public thing that you're doing. So if someone's like, oh, let me, that guy sounded really good. Let me check out his Twitter page. And like, what is this? There's a crash on 128. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is he stuck do. in it? Yeah. Is he exactly. going to write a song about it? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right. So I don't usually do ultimatum questions, but I'm going to do one right now because it excites me. So you have to pick one of these two scenarios. And this is the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life until you retire. Would you prefer doing traffic reporting? With minor league sports play by play <laughs> or touring musician who does freelance writing. Which of those? Because I don't, those are the, basically the four things. Yeah, that I we guess those today. are the four things. Um, um, which of those two that are put together would you 
be the most happiest doing for the rest of your life. Because I, I took, I, I, I put, I think the number, top two things in your life is what? Music and sports, right? Yeah. And then it's, all right, traffic reporting, uh, okay, writing, article writing's fine. Yeah. So I took the two most important things. Because I was going to say, ideally. I put the bottom two together. I was, I was like, say, ooh, what's, what would you do? Because I'm pretty sure ultim- the ultimate goal for you is doing sports reporting and, and touring music. And be a music. musician. Yes. Yeah. So let's split That's those. That's what I was going to say. Let's split those. It's really hard. And touring musician with uh, art, with a article writer. Yeah. Or traffic reporter and minor league sports play-by-play. I think I'd probably rather be a touring musician and a and a news writer or not a news writer and a and a freelance and a writer, writer. yeah. Because yeah. I think are... that is the sexier too. I think I really need to pick the sexy two <laughs> together. I'm thinking about being the TV like, is great, but you're also doing traffic. I'm reports. thinking about being 60 and being like a traffic reporter and also broadcasting minor, like being a career minor league baseball broadcaster versus being a much renowned independent folk songwriter. Because <laughs> I think when we pair all four of those up. None of those are really financially stable. Well, that's the other thing is like my... Um, but we could take these and say, let's just... The caveat of, you're going to make a comfortable living doing yeah. either one. Yeah. I think I'd choose being being a musician and, yeah. and being a writer. I think... Um, that's definitely the sexier. It's the thing that I struggle with the most is like... Um, like my dad um, taught... Well, he didn't teach. He was mostly the director of career services at Suffolk for years, like for 30 years. And, um, you know, he'd always tell the kids year after year, like, you know, pursue your passions and... The money will follow, and uh, you know you. Yeah. I, I've been hearing that too. Yeah, I've been exactly. Pursuing fifteen for fifteen years totally. on radio and comedy. I'm, I'm still waiting around for that money. But you know what? Like, <laughs> true to true to his to what he has been telling me, he's just like, yeah, like don't I, like you're doing it right now. Like, don't get caught up in the fact that like you haven't made a lot of money or you don't feel like you're successful yet. Like, don't. Yeah, I don't like, be rich. I just want to not go paycheck the paycheck. Yeah, I would like that too. Yeah, that would be nice. So yeah, right. so the answer is musician and and writer. Yeah, can you make that happen? No, I can't make. Is that the note we're ending on? Happen. <laughs> so all right, Dave, good talk. Danny, uh, real quick, where can people find you? Happy so Fourth of July! Wow, you have a happy Fourth. What are you doing for fireworks tonight? Um, well, I'm I'm getting up so early. I don't know if I'm gonna uh, okay, make yeah, it that gonna, far. I'm gonna walk down a couple blocks and watch them from the. Uh, the mass bike overpass around the uh, oh that's the cool street. yeah i might do it somewhere closer to cambridge where I, i'm gonna go for a run i haven't run this since i've been on the early mornings i'm just like as soon as one o'clock rolls around and generally i've been going to bur after that so i'm i'm just like i'm not running so i'm gonna run today um oh yeah you're not you're you're not used to just the consistent constant hustle bustle moving all the time no although Which i'm that's getting my life I, yeah i never I'm, stop i'm getting more used to it i've had to like start setting some boundaries because otherwise i'd just be like non-stop yeah i can't sit down and watch more than, like i was uh jim jeffries just put out a new comedy special and it's 90 oh, nice. minutes uh around minute 80 i was like i gotta do i gotta do something something yeah i can't how sit much sleep do like, you usually operate on four hours yeah. on the average like let's see here i got up at nine today i got home I got home and probably in bed around two thirty, three o'clock, and I got up around eight or nine today. But I was definitely up for at least two hours, just laying in bed trying to fall back asleep. Yeah. So yeah, I don't oh. sleep. Six hours is the max I usually sleep, but it's usually you never around get four eight. to five. No, I haven't slept eight hours. I think since I moved to Massachusetts, I think I slept for nine hours once. Oh my god! But then I definitely probably woke up three times to piss. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, where can they find me? You were gonna. Yeah, ask? let's get to that question. 
Uh, it'd be so remiss we, if we did three hours here and I didn't tell anyone yeah. where they. Well, I mean, I'll put the links in the page too. Oh, okay. I'm a professional. Well, the music <laughs> stuff is on. There's a Bandcamp page which I'm going to put up. Right now, there's some remixes on there and a couple songs from the full length album. I'm going to put up the whole album soon. So it's tanklefsky.bandcamp.com and well, then um, Tanklefsky. T a n k l e f s k y. Yeah, because I I didn't realize your name for the first six months we worked together was not Tank. You just thought it was Tank. Yeah, I just thought it was David Tank, which would be cool. Yeah, well, because the reason I found out your name wasn't Tank was because Katie called like, hey, let me talk to uh, Tank, Tank Klefsky. Klefsky. And, and I you were like, like, who? Or no, or maybe it was the other way around. She asked for Tank, and I had your name written down as Tank Klefsky, and I thought there were two different Two people. different guys. I thought there was somebody named Tank, and then there was also a Tank Klefsky. That would be pretty funny. That would be pretty rare. <laughs> uh, and then the Tank Mike- Klefsky music. Yep, tanklefsky.bandcamp.com. And then um, the Whiskey Treaty has a whole website. I think it's whiskeytreatyroadshow.com. <laughs> Oh, you think cool. you're in the band. Oh, I thought you were just laughing at the band name. No, I'm laughing at the fact uh, you're like, I think our website is. Well, I just don't know if there's a the there. Uh, forgive me for that. Google Whiskey, Whiskey Treaty, Treaty Roadshow. Roadshow. Then um, you can just search my name in Vice Sports. And they'll, they'll give you all the, the links to the Vice articles. And then every morning, 5 to 9, for maybe another week or two on NECN. <laughs> so... Are you, but you're going to do afternoons for them, too. I think so. They, I think that's, that's the plan. Th- that seems to be the idea. Yeah, because they don't have anybody on camera for afternoons. No, no, they don't. And we were always wondering if they were going to as soon as they put that camera. Which, by the way, they did all that to put the camera in our building. For like three months. Oh, or no, no it longer like, than It was longer than, longer than that. But they did all that, and they, the camera's still there. They haven't taken yeah, it back no, yet. Apparently, someone's supposed to go pick them up. Yeah. Now that we're happy. I said, let's just throw them in uh, someone's pickup truck, and we'll drive it over there to them. No, let's keep it. But actually, yeah, it. that would be, yeah, that's a better idea. So, all right. Thanks, Denny. Good talk. You too, man. Glad having you on. All right. And there you have it, my podcast with traffic reporter and sports guy and writer and musician and good friend, David Tankleski. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a long talk and very in-depth. Like, one of the things we got in-depth about is we were joking about the word titillating. Uh, and just to explain that, in case uh, you don't understand, titillating is one of the words that the FCC uses to describe what's a finable offense. The Federal Communications uh, Committee says that uh, you're not allowed to broadcast anything that is deemed obscene or titillating. So the only time you hear anybody in radio pretty much use the word titillating is when they're talking about the FCC. So, But this was a good talk that Dave and I just got through today. Like, we literally just finished this talk, and now I'm closing the talk up uh, because I want to sit down and watch BVS again because... I have to figure out what the hell's going on in that movie because it was. I was watching the extended version the other day that my my roommate bought in. Ugh, it makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm gonna watch it a second time to see if it makes any more sense. Because people say this makes so much more sense than the theatrical tra- the theatrical version. And if the theatrical version was worse than this, because this movie's a mess. I can't imagine that they would ever. I can't imagine how they would release it. I don't know. Maybe it'll make sense second viewing. I don't know. It looks good, but it does not. Wow. Also, I'm gonna go watch some fireworks. Because it's the 4th of July and that's what you do. So I had a fun weekend of doing cookouts. I hope you guys did as well. I appreciate that you listened to this podcast uh, on your way back to work today. Or maybe you're listening to it right now as fireworks are going off. Because who needs to hear fireworks? Especially if you're a dog. Dogs don't want to hear fireworks. They don't care what the visuals look like. They just hide under the couch because they're afraid of the big loud boom sounds. Uh, real quick to catch me, if you are in the New England, Boston area this week, I am doing a bit of comedy. I talked about it earlier. I have three shows this week. Uh, Wednesday, I will be at The Burn in Somerville, 10 o'clock show. It's kind of open mic, but it's a booked feature spot. I'm going to be doing regular jokes, not working on something, so that's going to be fun. I'm also doing the Tony V show at Laugh Boston on Thursday. 
July 7th, not January, July 7th. Uh, show starts at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be going up early on that because I am leaving that and heading to, uh, to do the Naked Show at Improv Boston at like 9, 9.30, something like that is when it starts. So if you want to hear jokes from me and see me naked, that is the place to do it. I am not putting it on my website. I am not even tweeting about it. If you, the podcast audience are the only people that are going to hear about me being on the Naked Show. Maybe I'll do a wrap up next week of how things went on the Naked Show. I did it last month. I'm going to do it again. I did like three minutes. I don't know. Maybe next week I'll talk about it. We'll see what happens. I sound very uncomfortable with that, but I felt, uh, I don't know, it's an uncomfortable thing. Telling jokes naked, even though it's not weirdly sexual, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing. But And of course, on Saturday, I am hosting the Comedy Porch at JP Porch Fest, brought to you by bostoncomedyshows.com. Uh, we're going to start doing comedy at 2 o'clock. It's going to end around 5.30, 6 o'clock. So if you're in the Jamaica Plain, JP area for Porch Fest, stop over to Center and Pond Street. Center is spelled the weird British way, C-E-E. C-E-N-T-R-E and Pond Street. We're going to be telling jokes. You can find all that information at bostoncomedyshows.com slash porchfest, bostoncomedyshows.com. Click on the Porchfest logo or just go to jpporchfest.org, O-R-G. All that information, locations, and uh, lineups will be at those places. Uh, thanks you again. Uh, thank you again for listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. I hope that you did rate, uh, subscribe, that you rated the podcast, that you reviewed it, that you gave it four stars, five stars, 12 stars, however many stars you're allowed to give the maximum would be great. Uh, especially if you're a fan of David Tankleski or the Whiskey Treaty Roadshow. If you're a fan of those things and that's what brought you to this podcast, hi, thank you. Sorry I said that all the way at the end of the podcast, but I appreciate you checking this out. I hope uh, you enjoy the rest of the podcasts uh, and that you stick around. But again, if you review and leave a good review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, however you listen to this podcast, if you listen, if you leave a good review, more people are likely to see it. The algorithm, the way they think work, they'll spread it to more people and they will, more people could potentially find out about David and his band. Uh, So if you're a fan of that, I would appreciate it if you did that and David would appreciate it too. Thanks so much for checking this out. Uh, Take care. Radio Month will continue next week uh, for the last one, even though it's July. (laughs) I went right from June into July. We had to take a week off because I didn't have the podcast because David didn't come. Uh, He was busy, but we got it out now. We're going to do this and then uh, one more radio uh, episode and then we're going to jump into Music Month, which will probably last more into August than it is through July. And then uh, we'll figure it out after that with the next month of of episodes will be so maybe i'll do uh the maker i was a uh, pass a maker place over by uh the rock line channel i was going to i've been meaning to contact the people who work at this maker space so maybe that's what's in store for the podcast we don't know we'll see and we're actually going to end this episode of the podcast with this song this is the song fools by david and his band the whiskey treaty roadshow here on you really do the podcast where i speak with artists and entertainers about their day job i'm dead dennis maller thanks a lot for listening I've seen love go right past my window In shapes strange and shapes familiar I've got lullabies longer than your restless eyes Hold your breath so deeply, then let go Oh, 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 and I'm just walking backwards Looking for my mother's arms Singing songs I'll know when I am old Oh, oh, old, and if you'll walk with me, turn to the light and presently load up the boat and row until the shore disappears. And I've known bread lines longer than the grapevine, with fruits you'd pick forever 
when you're hungry And I've known good friends Watch as they slowly descend Into the night and disappear And I'm just thinking about you And all the miles I've run through And I would part the seas just like a fool Oh, oh, oh And that's what fools do At least that's what they're supposed to When they're feeling foolish and in love when they're feeling foolish and love and under load up the car and drive until it passes and I've been scared and faithful and I have been so grateful for everything that's past and all that's yet to come and if I need forgiveness I don't mind the darkness and if the stars are writing out my name and if we get to tomorrow Filled with joy and sorrow I know I'd be glad that I came I know I'd be glad that I came <laughs> Thank, Thank you, everybody. From Cambridge, Massachusetts, that's David Tanklefsky, everybody.